off the ball. And Munster are failing at that detail. It's not the big picture that's killing them. It's it's the minutia, the detail that's taking them apart. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, Tuesday morning, new digs. You're very welcome along. If uh, you want to get in touch with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, new digs, same old quality show, Shane. Same old quality show. Uh, I knew which one I was I looking f- at. I thought it was that one, but uh, it might be that one. I feel like I'm in, like, you know when you go to a new classroom for the first time in September and you're like trying to get your bearings and look around you and like see who your mates are beside you it's the same person beside me but yeah it's going to take time to get used to it again I don't know where I'm looking I'm probably looking up here the lights are terrifyingly harsh yeah they are pretty harsh at this time in the morning Um, but yeah it'll take time to get used to it but we're only here for for what a week so Uh, we're not here for a long time we're here for good time exactly exactly right so uh, we should get stuck into it a really busy programme for you Jonathan Wilson's going to tell us a little bit about why uh, Pep Guardiola overthinks things maybe he doesn't overthink things uh, maybe mm. we're just reaching to a conclusion by seeing a pattern evolve and actually he overthinks things every week and most weeks he gets it right but it's just the big games when he's up against the best teams who are playing really well and he really wants to win that he changes his formation radically and the players don't seem to know exactly what they're doing yeah. I don't know maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying things he definitely overthinks it's just happened a bit now yeah, it's it's a common theme, and it it seems to be. It's funny how it's only Liverpool that have managed to stop Haaland scoring this season, like the Community Shield, and then you had the the game of the weekend as well. Now I don't know what they did. Joe Gomez was inspired, uh, and we've we've given him slack on this show. We've we've you know had Liverpool journalists on who said he, he just hasn't been good he enough must this go year. To the World Cup, Joe Gomez, they're saying now potentially. Uh, I mean, at least he's playing football. Harry Maguire is not playing football, so yeah, you'd wonder. But um, it's it's certainly something for for Gareth to keep tabs on, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, yeah. Sorry, Joe, we're, we're burying the lead this morning as well. I think um, you'll, you'll have heard the rumours, and people will uh, probably be thinking that this is the elephant in the room this morning. But um, we know Des Cahill's leaving the Sunday game. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, number of candidates. Obvious candidates from within the RTE canteen. Yeah, um, all excellent, brilliant candidates. Now the forty-two have, have an interesting piece. You, might, you may or may not have been, been made aware of this, Jer. But um, under the under the headline "Outsiders for Sunday Game," l'étranger. Yeah, of course we have uh, the, the line Virgin Media pair Tommy Martin and Joe Malloy both present excellent. soccer yeah. and rugby respectively on the yeah. channel. But both are well versed on GA matters. Malloy's off Probably the ball. Coach at Vincent's. He is. He is, of course. You know, um, doing the hard yards. He is. Malloy's off-the-ball colleague, Jer Gilroy, is another experienced presenter with sound GEA credentials. Our lad, basically. You were at, you were at the GEA at the weekend as well, so I, I don't know if that was you, you know, putting yourself out there as Which, a... Oh, when I was sitting in the car watching... Yeah, the, sitting yeah, in the car in the rain. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, but, that, uh, you know... That might have disqualified me. Potentially, potentially. <laughs> you have to get out of the car if yeah. you're, uh, you're going to... I mean... But it's, it's the elephant in the room, Jay. You're going to have to confirm or deny the rumours this morning, I think, for everyone. Uh, yeah, okay. I should, I should really string this out for a few weeks so we can yeah. get a crack out of it, but I mean, you know... Get the contract offer bumped up a little bit by denying until it's yeah. concrete. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see them definitely. Um, you know, we've been, we've been nothing but um, complimentary about uh, all of their coverage. <laughs> maybe that's why you've been linked. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, oh, to silence me? Maybe potentially. Yeah. I mean, Darrow Kanaja's name has been linked. He's Dar- like Darrow did it before. Yeah, yeah. Um, well versed in it, and would certainly add a bit of. Uh, a bit of heft to their panels if they wanted to go back that way but I, I don't know if he's at that stage of his career or not like but he was excellent like yeah. really and he, he is really one of those 
deeply wise voices on GAA mm-hmm. and understands everything about the modern game, but also has a link all the way back to Paddy and that era. And I like I I love more Dara Osquelga or Osperla. Um, obviously, show show sport is back, and that's a brilliant program. Um, I certainly was last year. I don't know if a, a version of it uh, came back last year. I can't remember the name of it now because I think they renamed it. But mm. so who else is in the who else is in the list? Well, I mean, we've got you've got the RT head. You've got Jackie Hurley, Damian Lawler, Ivani Cullen, Claire McNamara, uh, Darren Maloney. Um, although he's you know commentary wise he's, he's he's brilliant. So I don't know if if he if he want that role. Darren Frehel, Marty Morrissey, John Kenny, longer shots perhaps within the RT. But then but then it gets down to the names I mentioned, including your own. Um, so you know it's it's an interesting one. Um, even to see your name linked there, Jerry. I mean it's experience presented with sound GA credentials. I mean you you hope there's there's some left field thinking going on there. There might not be. I'd say is it going to be is it going to be uh, Joanne on the main evening show, and then they get somebody else in for the afternoon show. Yeah, potentially. You'd, you'd imagine there'd be a, an interesting switch. Like it, the show has developed and changed. I think Des wasn't Des kind of saying. Would you say developed? Would you say would? would, would that, I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way. I mean Des was kind of saying there's too many games now. It's you know well, and there's about to be a lot more games. Yeah, that's the thing. He's probably getting out the hell out of dodge before it, uh, it becomes too much. Uh, and I understand that because it's had he basically said there was no crack in it anymore. Yeah, there's no time to, to. A lot of people in the comments here are calling for for Joe Brolly. There's someone who's commented under the name G Gilroy ninety eight says yeah definitely Jer Jer be the perfect man for the job knows his GA um, uh, no thanks no thanks no so that, is that a con- that's a concrete no this morning uh, that's a concrete 100% um, I can't no <laughs> okay at least at least we've got the exclusive this morning folks uh, but no it, it'll be interesting to see how they do it because uh, we've seen it Monday Night Football and we've talked about how soccer punditry has developed over the over the last decade five years even and, and like Jimmy Carragher and Roy Keane and Gary Neville spoke about this recently on Monday Night Football, I think, where they kind of said, when they were playing, punditry wasn't, pundits weren't, well, no, it wasn't like, let's tune in on the Monday night or the Sunday. People knew, knew who the pundits were, but it wasn't um, as, in, as engrossing. Maybe it's because of social media that everyone sees every single thought of every Do you think there. that's true? I, I, think, um, I think that uh, like when we were watching growing up, Alan Hansen and... Um, whoever was alongside him it would have been Laro for a long period of time like Hanson was one of those famous people in, in yeah. football in, in England um, fair uh, because match of the day was omnipotent yeah was it appointment viewing like Keane is and Neville is well yeah because you couldn't see the goals anywhere else I suppose you had to I'd say the viewership figures then were way bigger than they are now because yeah. everybody's seen the goals by the time the show rolls around so like I, I mean that's that's them who were in football and probably didn't want to pay attention in case they were getting criticised saying that so I'm sure there's a little bit of self-protection about that mm. uh, however it has obviously gone to a whole new level because there's far more time and they're asked to do far more work and yeah. like uh, Gary Neville has the telestrator in his gaff you know that's um, that yeah. is a, a significant sea change like I, I actually think the an- analysis on Sky has blown the analysis on RT out of the water over the last while I think it's very clear that like by being able to show and just even being innovative with the camera angles you'd say the same about TG Carr like TG Carr have the the puck out uh in vision while the replay is going on yeah, yeah. and they've had it for a number of years mm. and we still don't have it on the main Sunday championship programs and you're like I mean <laughs> it's okay to copy it's okay because they've done this they've been innovative and you're going to be second and I don't know why you can't just copy just copy it's a great idea TG Carr well just done do yeah, you've, yeah. you've done the state a lot of service by this one little thing and it's, it's emblematic of 
I don't know. The, the punditry has become very bland, and now there's going to be a whole raft of new pundits in because mm. obviously all the old ones have. Um, in the caddy jobs. Yeah, now maybe Tomas O'Shea comes back and that helps. I don't know. I, I, I suspect he can come back. Joe Bradley on the, flo- on the phone. <coughs> I think that's not going to happen, is it? No, I don't think so. Um, um, a lot of the top comments genuinely are people calling for Bradley to get it. My 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 uh, outside left field prediction, and I don't see any odds anywhere. Is Bernard Brogan? I think right. Bernard Brogan could be in the mix for. Um, I know nothing about this. I haven't. I haven't. I don't have any inside information. But I think that um, just to change it up and get away from the presenter kind of vibe. Well, no. So he he'd be the main presenter in the afternoon yeah. show or the evening show. Yeah, I mean Gary Lineker had to start somewhere. You know, the, these these guys are a risk at the start, but uh, there's no reason why. They shouldn't be given the opportunity, I think. Uh, Bernard Brogan's an interesting shout. Um, they probably have to go for name recognition at this stage. And as you said, there's there's not been a lot of kind of changes to the to the coverage. Like I remember when they when they started talking to the you know the pitch side reporter, they, that this was the new the new thing for years and, and they kind of held on to that as their new innovation, but the innovation since haven't been as common or forthcoming. No. Um, so yeah, it, it, the coverage has to change. They have to catch up with Sky, and um, yeah, maybe someone like a Brogan is is the way to do it. Um, well, uh, I, I mean, the pundits are the presenter can only do so much, as you know. I mean, you can't polish a turd, Shane. <laughs> you can try. Uh, Colin wants me to tell you that um, this is only temporary setup. It's only temporary. We're only here for a few days. As I said, not here for a long time. Here for a good time. Yeah, we'll get used to the harsh lights and the... Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever going to get used to the harsh lights. No. Um, so, Des Kyle spoken to the sun. Um, I did an interview... Where's it gone? Um, sorry. He yesterday told us, I did an interview last summer saying the program is kind of broken and it needs to be fixed and it needs it. Every year there are more and more games being put into it. I, you know... Um, Fair play to him for telling the truth. The program is broken and it needs fixed. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of us would, would feel that. Um, social media impacts on it hugely. There's a huge challenge they face, so it doesn't have the same impact as it used to. But on a day of big controversy, people still come back to the Sunday game. You can see highlights on social media, but people still want to hear the arguments going on. Well, they do want to hear the arguments going on, but the arguments kept getting nipped in the bud. It felt like you weren't allowed to have an argument, or you certainly weren't encouraged to have like to talk about the main thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised Zez came out and, and was so honest and open, but at least I, I guess he had to explain in his own words why he wanted to, to call it quits now. Um, I was surprised that, that he was calling it quits, but it, it's a massive... When you see Colin O'Rourke leaving, you see Pat Spillane gone, you see Des gone now as well. It's it's a brave new world. It's a brave new world. It's a chance for someone to, to step up. But it, um, it, Look, it's definitely a big opportunity. And, I, you know, uh, either Evan Quillen or Jackie Hurley would be brilliant if they get it. And um, But... Yeah, so that's the crack with that. Yeah, a lot of talent there. Um, I'd spoken to you before the show about Eddie Jones's coaching WhatsApp groups. Yeah, uh, this is this is a brilliant. Like, any Eddie Jones story I see in the papers, I tend to bring it up because the last one I think was the Navy Seals. He was. You love yourself a bit of Eddie Jones. A bit of Eddie Jones, I love him. Great man, uh, very sound. Um, but yeah, he he kind of spoken about how he met the SEAL Team Six over in San Diego for a time and, and got some quote unquote learnings from them. Uh, but yeah, he's in the he's in the papers today, Eddie Jones. Uh, he's best mates with Mikel Arteta, essentially. Um, there's a WhatsApp group. It also includes Green Bay Packers head coach Matt Lafleur, the NBA Hall of Famer George Carl, basketball coach Mike Dunlap. Uh, so over COVID, they were doing Zoom calls and stuff as well with each other. But uh, he's, he said that we have this fantastic group. Arteta came into the camp last autumn. We had a really good chat. He's a super bright young coach. Um, they do Zooms. He says, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. We all go in and share our problems. Everyone tells you what they think. It's fantastic. We've got all these guys in the same room. It'll be fantastic when we all get together over a beer. 
It'll be so much fun. Then it will be out. Al- then it will be Alcoholics Anonymous. Kept bringing up <laughs> A. Very, very <laughs> funny from, from Eddie. But he, he's a funny man. Yeah, he's a funny man. But look, I thought it was an interesting uh, innovation. And I guess it's probably not that surprising that these top coaches speak to each other and pass off things that they learn and things that they need, need advice on to each other. But I just thought it was interesting. There's a little WhatsApp group doing the rounds. Got yeah, I, um, we did the, that uh, series with Stuart Lancaster a couple of years ago. And when he was uh, in between um, leaving England and coming to Leinster, he kind of did a, a world tour and met a bunch of coaches. And it turns out there's this kind of high powered coaches forum where they meet and swap ideas. And, I think Kathleen was making the point off air that like it's understandable when it's different sports. <clears throat> yeah. there's, there's like there's not a huge peer group that you can go to. You can't like you can't see. So I'd say Arteta and Pep might still be in contact, but not for much longer, right? Mm. Pep at some point is going to like leave him, leave him blue ticked. Yeah, and be like, yeah, yeah. listen, it won't even get the blue tick. He'll have blocked his number. It'll be one <clears throat> grey tick. Uh, but you can see how uh, in a different sport or even like international managers and club managers might compare and contrast notes yeah. and be friendly towards each other. So um, Lancaster was saying that he was mates with um, Dan Quinn, who was started at the Seahawks as their defensive coordinator, got the Atlanta Falcons gig and was in, in uh, head coach for the Atlanta Falcons when they were 28-3 up <laughs> and on the verge of winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that ended obviously not particularly well. So um, It got me thinking of this, the sporting WhatsApp groups I'd like to be a part of. Damien Duff with the Shelburne players, the whole Siege Mentality WhatsApp group, I think that would be a fun one to be involved in. I think it's called Siege Mentality. Possibly. Like just sharing in newspaper articles. Special ones. Look how much they all hate us. Um, so that's probably one of the sporting WhatsApp groups I'd like to be in. Um, I'm sure there are interesting ones out there that we don't have a clue of. Like Davy Fitz, I'm sure, is in a few interesting WhatsApp groups. Mourinho is probably in a couple as well. Um, that you just like. Mourinho must still be in one with Duffer, right? Surely, yeah, the ex-players, Heidegger Johnson and a few of these lads just sending thumbs up, emojis and, and, and fun gifts of the, the great goals they scored together. Um, Jose running down the touchline. Yeah, I think that, that has, to be, has to be a thing. But yeah, interesting one. Eddie Jones, the innovator. Uh, Henry Christopher says, all the best in the new studio, lads. Shambles, who um, you know, has nominative determinism going on in his YouTube handle. No audio on right channel. So our, we have our best people working on the right channel at the moment trying to fix it for you. Uh, hope this is only temporary. Light is horrendous, says Terry Kelly, who doesn't like me <laughs> to see all our blackheads in uh, H. D4K. Way too bright this hour of the morning, says Mark C. Uh, it looks like talk sport, says Kevin Parker. Cry laughing emoji, so he's obviously not happy about that. Uh, eh? Audio a bit off as well. Yeah, we're working on it. Like, you know, with the, the, problems. The first message is okay. The fifth message, we're like, yeah, okay, we got it. We got it. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. I mean, so does that mean you can't hear one of them? I'll, I'll, just, I'll just mime and like. Fergus uh, Kyo is like, are we allowed to know why there's a change of venue or is this a Liz Truss situation? That Liz Truss situation thing is going to work for about 15 years. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's going to be. It's it's one of those gags that's going to get better and better and better and better and Over better time. with the repetition simply by virtue of just how bad the shit show is. Yes. Like I, I I'm trying to think maybe some situation around Watford, but like who really cares? It's Watford. Maybe maybe Brian Clough at Leeds. <laughs> is that the level of like the amount of stories that are going to come out afterwards about oh, how bad it got. It's up there with... Uh, how the, bad it gets. Yeah. It got bad. The press conference the other day where she just walked off after three or four questions where she literally gave the same answer to every question was it's, particularly bad. Like it's, They're like, what? Because yeah, definitely made it a uh, conscious she was, try, she was trying to calm it down and it's like, no, Liz, you're not the 
best talker in the world. Maybe don't do a press conference. But then she's like, I can't go go hiding. But I mean, anything would have been better than the shit show that that, that ensued at that press conference. I didn't even take questions from some of the top journalists there. I was going to make an effort, a significant effort, not to pay any attention to it anymore because it, like, it just takes up too much brain space. And you're like, really, what's the point of this? But ultimately, how can you turn away from the unfolding car crash? It's like, it's so spectacular. <laughs> it's just like, and she's, she's like, I'm going to hold on now to the general election, whenever that might be. Fair play. This is like the team that is sinking at the bottom of the Premier League, can't score a goal, uh, conceding like nothing normal, and they're like, oh, I'm going to hold on till Christmas. Well, there's literally no alternative. Yeah, out. well, this is the thing. I mean, maybe... maybe, maybe Sorry, go, go to the white, can we go to the white shot again there? So I, I wasn't aware I'm going to have to be very careful about my oh, choice no of... Oh, no socks. Well, no, I'm actually wearing socks, the ankle uh, socks, but choice of shoe wear and stuff, like, you can get away with it. You could be sitting there in your, in your boxers at the minute. Am, no, one, yeah. no, one would, no one would care or know, but I, I'm going to have to be fairly, fairly thoughtful as to what I'm wearing. Because uh, some days I'm wearing shorts in the in the off the ball <laughs> studio, rarely. But uh, yeah. Spectre Corp says just temporary for a few days. They said thank you for paying attention, Spectre Corp. Um, even though you are like a Bond villain, um, very Halloweeny name. Yeah, corporation from the 1960s. Uh, good morning, Jim and Simon says Brendan Cagney running with the Talksport team. Uh, sorry guys, love the show says Mark McGillan. That's okay, we forgive you. And uh, Pat Dorgan says it's actually the RTE studio, Jer's interviewing, but not going so well so far. <laughs> yeah, this is his. Uh, this is your pitch for the Sunday game, even though you've refuted. Jer Gilroy refutes Sunday game link strongly. That's the headline. Slams. Someone's currently writing the article. I just hope that they tag us in it and, and, and give us credit and link back to the video for OTB. That's Lacey Jadlism from the 42. <laughs> I would have expected better from you, lads. I'm not quite experienced enough, Jer, to get the link yet, but, but someday. Well, you know, you're from the same general uh, nether regions of the country as the person making the decision. Yeah, so, true, you know? true. <clears throat> Too regional accent for now for our team, perhaps. I need to start saying issues and, and words like that to maybe. Uh, oh, they're coming for you. They're coming for your type, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They need to regionalise the whole yeah, thing. Cult- cultitude. Yeah, cultitude. Yeah, I like it. Um, the Telegraph have the best story of the day, which uh, Aston Villa target Pochettino. Mm. I mean... What do you make of this as a Villa fan? Well, there's, uh, you, have you watched The Sopranos? I, I, I haven't finished The Sopranos. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, say no spoilers because I deserve any spoilers that come my way. Uh, well, Junior Soprano has uh, a line one time about like, um, he really likes Angie Dickinson, let's yeah. just say. I don't know if anybody who's out there knows what, uh, it's like somebody says, I want something, Junior goes, oh, I want Angie Dickinson. <laughs> it's like Aston Villa, they want to target Pochettino. Yeah. They're like, yeah. There's some great lines in this. And it's like uh, Matt Law, Sam Wallace and Jason Burt all bylined on it. So somebody somewhere wants it to be known that Villa are serious, have spent loads of money. The decision will be a collective decision. Steven Gerrard is not being protected by Christian Perslow, even though they have Liverpool links, that it's not Perslow's decision. Uh, The sporting director is a guy called Steve Lange, Johan Lange, sorry. Uh, The two co-owners, Soares and... Edens are going to be making the call. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be Christian Perslow because Villa are now almost in a worse situation than they were when they sacked the last manager. And like, just to be consistent, lads, why did we sack him again? We sacked him because of the league position. Where's our league position? Exactly the same. Yeah. So why are we keeping this guy? Because he's famous? I, I don't know him. Probably. I'm an American billionaire. I don't know this guy. What did he do for me? <laughs> Christian Perzel's like, but he's, he's like, he's DVG. Yeah. He's going to create some magic moments for us. And they're looking at Coutinho, can't kick snow off a rope. And they're looking at all the other signings they made who are all injured. And they've got the eighth highest wage bill and they're like 16th. And so the owners are like, 
And Tyrone Mings hacking the ball into his own box. That doesn't help. Poor no. Tyrone. I, I feel sympathy for Tyrone Mings. I think yeah. that under you know a good manager who gave him some confidence, perhaps he would make less mistakes. Yeah. Maybe he wouldn't. But anyway. Uh, uh, Villa would almost certainly be prepared to wait for Pochettino if he unexpectedly showed any interest in the job. Unexpectedly. But did not want to make an immediate commitment. <laughs> if he unexpectedly showed any interest in the job. <laughs> Aston Villa target Pochettino. And I want yeah. Angie Dickinson. Pochettino has nothing to do with this story. Uh, like You're looking at Fulham on Thursday and Brentford on Sunday for Villa and you're thinking, okay... They're two games that they can target, albeit Brentford playing very well at the minute. But if they don't win those two games, if they don't get, if they don't get three points somewhere from those two games, I mean, he's gone, isn't he? Like I'm going to Villa Park in two and a half weeks for the for Villa United. Uh, just wanted to see the stadium, but at this stage, I'm like, who's going to be the manager at that point? I feel like the best bet at the minute is caretaker. Someone, G, G, Stevie G will be gone. And I don't know. I don't know. I think they actually played okay against Chelsea. Yeah, they like, did. You yeah. know, created a lot of chances. Now, uh, Chelsea also hit the crossbar and probably could have scored a few more as well. But, like, it wouldn't be on the bounds of possibility. The other name mentioned there is Tuchel. It's like... Ah, uh, here. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Tuchel decides that he, he wants to be totally in charge and doesn't want any... Well, I mean, of course they want Pochettino and Tuchel, but, like... Is that is that the level of candidate Villa are going for? And Villa team a club with big history, big um, potential. Looking at the squad, um, but I just don't know if they're the caliber of names that realistically will be getting the job. Should and if Stevie G lose the position in the next two, two or three weeks, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the lads want back into the Premier League, and this is the best way for it. Let them at it. Uh... Shane hasn't finished The Sopranos. He has to go, says Dennis Ryan. He's not the first person to sit in that seat who hasn't watched The Sopranos. It's like a, but I, I thought that during COVID they would all catch up, but it turns out they haven't. I tried my best to catch up. But you see, your mates give you new... Like, I'm trying to watch Yellowstone at the minute. I'm trying to watch the House of the Dragons. Like, there's just... Is House of the Dragons not shite? It, you know what? A couple of episodes have been decent. Have they? Uh, I never finished Game of Thrones. Well, uh, like I was four seasons in, and then everyone told me the ending was shite, and I was like, "I'm not." Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. So, um, left channel only, mono sound. Thanks, lads. We Cheers. we have our uh, our best people on it. What is this, lads? Looking great. All the best with it, says Shane. Don't get used to it, Shane. We're going back to um, as in the set's looking great, or we're looking great. I'm going to go with the set is looking great. Yeah, we're going back to uh, our best a little bit later on. Are the lads on holiday. Uh, here's what's coming up between now and uh, ten o'clock this morning. Um, Tanisha Disignaki is going to join us in just a moment to uh, tell us she's just retired as a tennis player tennis player you probably haven't heard of she's a peer of Emirata County but has been forced to retire Jonathan Wilson is going to join us at 10 past 8 bringing the sports page with John Duggan at uh, half 8 Tony Evans is going to talk to us about the investigation into the Champions League final um, report published yesterday in the Panorama documentary last night uh, Willie Marr is the new Leash Hurling manager he's going to join us at 10 past 9 we'll play out with Eddie Brennan making the case that TJ Reid is the GOAT OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Uh, so our, our other studio is getting updated. That's why we have the new digs at the moment. Um, you're not going to notice it getting updated. We're just going to be able to like broadcast more easily. Uh, it's not actually going to look any different. Mm. Unless we tidy it up. I mean, we, we could take this opportunity for this week to like, you know, dust it. Which would be the first time that's happened in five years. Yeah, yeah. Minor. There's a lot of, a lot of like, old human skin floating around in that studio. 
that's, that's a grim thought that, I, that hadn't crossed my mind. Um, thank you for that. I can't wait to get back into the human skin floating studio. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Karen Benzema won the Ballon d'Or last night, of course. Well deserved. Uh, I don't think there was any significant doubt, was there? No arguments. Uh, top scorer in the La Liga, top scorer in the Champions League, won both. Um, was it 44 goals for Real across the season? Um, yeah, it was one of those uncontroversial Ballon d'Ors where you're like, yeah, fair enough, can't argue. Sadio Mane in second. Um which, which obviously is, is, a, is a great achievement as well and to finish second in the Ballon d'Or you have to be a world class player top three uh, top ten I'd say in the Ballon d'Or you'd, you'd have to be a world class player oh yeah top, sure. top ten well if you, if, you, if you ever finish top ten in the world football player of the year but no defenders right? ever make it it'd be the worst team of all time Cannavaro I suppose won it one year didn't he back in oh, whatever it was oh, 06 um, ah yeah you have to be world class to be top ten you do surely okay um David Beckham, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, I think that's over. Um, there's a couple of other bits and pieces that we'll come back to in the newspapers a little bit later on for you. Um, but if you have anything you want to get off your chest, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream and uh, you can also tweet us at Off the Ball AM. Now, we're switching our attention to that tennis story that we just told you about. And I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Tanisha Disanyake. Tanisha, good morning to you. For anybody who is not aware, can you just run us through what happened to you in July last year? Oh, we're just having a few problems with the line. Just a new studio giving us teething problems. I think it's um, it might be um, a, a Skype issue. Skype issue, yeah, yeah. Usually, we'll go back to Tanisha in just a, a moment. It's seven fifty-six this morning. If you've just joined us, then don't worry, don't adjust your sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a new set for us, and we'll be back to the old one next week. But um, yeah, uh, it's always like, what are you going to do with your hands? Kind of vibe. It's like hold, you're nearly holding a cup of coffee, not to wake yourself up. It's almost to, to make, give yourself something to, to hold. Someone's commented, House of Dragon is a bit meh, but Yellowstone would surely appeal to the locals of Monaghan, Leitrim and Cavan. L- lumping Monaghan in with Leitrim and Cavan there as two culty capitals of the country. That's fair enough, but a uh, little bit offended. Is there any tourism? In Monaghan? Yeah. Do you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever, get, do you ever get any visitors? Fishing. There's, the, the odd people come up to Monaghan for, for fishing and... Uh, odd people. Fo- odd people, yeah, come up to Monaghan. Uh, food. Monaghan's a great food food place. Oh, yeah? Fishing and golf. There's a couple of, like, Conqueror Wood and Rossmore Park. Good golf uh, golf courses in, in Monaghan. I'm really trying to sell it here. Um, like, it's not just... It's not just green diesel and, and drumlins and that sort of thing that we've got. We've got other things that people can come up for. I'm not getting paid by, by tourism on him to say any of this. Not yet. Not but, yet. Uh, we're working on it. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about uh, Georgie Kelly and the, the Rotherham? Oh, great quotes. Um, now, if, hard to argue in, in some ways, but it's caused a little bit of controversy. Georgie Kelly, of course, doing great things with Rotherham at the minute. Um, he's appeared in nine of the, the 13 championship games this, this season. So he's, he's definitely a championship level footballer. Georgie Kelly's proved that. Uh, winner against Huddersfield Town at the weekend. Uh, so the Rotherham manager, Matt Taylor, came out and started calling Georgie Kelly a cult hero. And if anyone saw his post-match interview, Georgie himself, just a breath of fresh air. One of those interviewees that you're like, yeah, he just says it as it is. Um, but rather manager Mark, Matt Taylor said he's come from Ireland, which with no dis- disrespect to Irish football is the equivalent of non-league level in the English pyramid. So he, like, he started off saying with no disrespect and then completely disrespected them. Uh, I think a lot of League of Ireland fans probably had in their head I'd probably have League of Ireland as League 2 level maybe in, in, in my head. It's hard obviously to 
to compare. Yeah, I mean, what what are we talking about here? Like, because Gavin Bazunu went over and stepped up really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so you know, he's come through a system at Shamrock Rovers where they have full-time professional coaching mm-hmm. that's not available to every other League of Ireland club. And so I remember when Roddy went over, and that's obviously two decades ago, but there was a bit of money floating around the League of Ireland at the very top level. At that point, he was making a similar case. Um, so if you're a League of Ireland fan, we'd love to hear from you this morning. We'll come back to that a little mm-hmm. bit later on. Now, I, I think we have uh, <clears throat> re-established our connection to Tanisha Disignacke. Tanisha, good morning to you. How are you? Hopefully you can hear us this time. Good morning. I hope you can hear me. All good, all good. So um, you've announced your retirement from tennis this week. Can you just tell us what happened? So I tested positive last July and I still haven't recovered from it. I've developed long COVID. I'm very much housebound, mostly bedbound. So I think it came to a point when I just had to accept. To move on. Okay, that must be pretty heartbreaking. There's a little bit of a gremlin on the line, but I think we're going to stick with it for now just to see if it, if it writes itself when, when we start talking again. Um, so last July, it's, it's effectively 14, 15 months of suffering from long COVID. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's um, probably not going to be possible to make that line work. Um, but yeah, it's a, a, an absolutely horrific story. Mm. A peer of Emma Raducanu, who actually beat her underage, um, beat, uh, uh, Tanisha beats Raducanu underage and uh, has now given up her dream of, of getting back to being a professional tennis player as a result of long COVID. Um, anyway, one of the other stories. So we were talking about uh, Georgie Kelly yeah. and Brotherham. Big debate happening online about it. Um, I think Dan, as usual, was uh, being fairly reasoned about it. Like, yeah, yeah. can see that there is some merit in some parts of this, but definitely saying that things are uh, ticking up. Yeah, and, and like the, the more you see Irish teams, uh, like Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers performing in Europe, you're kind of like, well, it's not non-league football. Like, it's not. Like, a non-league team couldn't compete the way Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers have in Europe. Now, you might say they haven't got out of a group, but they certainly haven't disgraced themselves at a European level. Um, yes, I, I can see where there are other managers coming from, but he probably hasn't watched enough of the League of Ireland to, to know that it's come on leaps and bounds. Um, and I think the interest levels, even the League of Ireland, have... have Skyrocketed, and to see managers like Damien Duff, uh, it increases the interest of people who are, you know, the, the Manchester United fans and the Liverpool fans and the people who are Irish but never watched League of Ireland. They're all of a sudden going, right, this is decent quality. Sean McRovers are in Europe. Damien Duff's a manager. You see Richard Dunn getting linked to the position as well. Um, they say they've got their house in order and they're not going to go anywhere anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, 100%. So when you see title battles like that, look, I, I, this, now, this argument comes up every so often. You would definitely say that the facilities aren't where they need to be and, like, Again, uh, there have been several calls for the government to get involved in this. We see a new GA stadium in going into Louth, and you're like, <laughs> I mean, I did think that the days of there being government money just for single-use stadia was over, but obviously it isn't. It isn't over, and it doesn't seem to make that much sense to me. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of teams across the country in any code are going to look at the the Louth story, and they're going to be like, oh, hold on a minute, like because the, the Louth stadium was was going to pot. I mean, they were thinking, right, we're, we're millions off here in terms of the financial where we need to be. I think they said at some stage it was 18 million they needed. Um, and these foreign investors who, of course, can get residential rights uh, raised, what, between 12 and 14 million potentially for the, for the stadium. So it's brought them right up close to where they need to be. Um, and I, I think Westport, 
had a, a team as well that, that benefited from this this new system. Um, but it's an interesting one. A lot of a lot of sports teams are going to be using it now because uh, I guess it comes under the, the the arts and culture and sport tagline that that can benefit from this this type of thing. So, um, and Peter Fitzpatrick has obviously been fairly instrumental in, in hammering home the Louth link as well there and, and getting that money on board but the League of Ireland clubs could definitely do with it you, you look at some of the pitches like Finn Harpson uh, you know on, on, a, on a bad day and you're like uh, you know especially when those games are televised and it heightens it you're kind of like this is this is still per that you know you yeah. see some of the League pitches that are, that are yeah. better quality sometimes I, I, I look I, I realise that um, uh the Save Tolka initiative has means that Shelburne won't be part of the ground share at Daily Mount. But I, I do wonder if like some of the teams in the south of Dublin will come together and decide that they're going to put together a shared pitch, maybe even for three teams to share ground. Yeah. <clears throat> and if that isn't the way forward to get enough money to get a 8,000 seater or 6,000, 4,000 seats and 10,000 standing, whatever. Yeah. Um, but certainly, uh, I, you'd have to say the quality of the play has improved um, beyond uh, beyond non-league at the moment. Right, look, we're going to try one more time to get back to Tanisha. Good morning to you, Tanisha. How are you? Right. Um, we'll unfortunately have to leave that there. That's very disappointing, but it's um, a terrible story. We wish Tanisha all the very best. We'll come back to work, no doubt. From that. Um, yeah. Uh, right. <coughs> Excuse me. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. I should say it's also very hot in here. The like, usual, yeah. It, the, the funny, the temperatures the last week or two in the off the wall studios we've been saying had, had gone through the roof, Saharan levels. Um, but it's hot in here as well. Um, so if anyone sees beads of sweat coming down our forehead, just got just got the temperature fixed actually in in the in, right in the downstairs studio where it's now is nice and cool. <laughs> you can come in and you could like put a jumper on and you'd be grand. Yeah, it's typical. Um, I I don't know if you were, you, you were following some of the club football at the weekend. I had a fantastic photo. Now we won't have it up on screen. There was a great photograph. You won't be able to see it on my phone here. But generations of Ballybay uh, families. So every senior championship winning captain in history for Ballybay were, were photographed together. So are they all members of the same family? So there, there's a few of them. Patty McCartney, maybe 53, 54, 57. And 59, Sean McCartney 69, then Jim O'Hanlon was 62, Owen McCartney was the captain at the weekend, Paul Finley was standing beside him, who was the captain 10 years ago and still playing on Sunday as well. Wow, was he? And yeah, oh, reeling in the ears, Paul was Finley. He? Wow. Uh, still playing at that level for Bally Bay, and that was their first Monon Senior Championship. They were trying to stop the Scotstown three in a row, which they did, uh, and deservedly so, beat them by three points in Clonus on Sunday afternoon. Um, so, uh, like, a, that's a second senior club championship title for Paul Finley. Uh, I don't know what age, Paul is well into his late 30 slash early 40s. The, the one drawback from um, Wikipedia is that it doesn't have dates of birth yeah. for EA players. Yeah. It has for everything else, but uh, we seem to be like, no, no, not whatever you say, say nothing. Tell yeah. them nothing. Uh, Paul's a gentleman as well. Um, he, re- he retired in 2016 from inter-county football after a 14-year stint. Yeah. So I don't know, did he make it at 18? So... Uh, 18 plus 14 is 32 maybe it's 34 and that's 6 years ago so he's 40 yeah, um, yeah. if I'm doing you a disservice either way Paul apologies <laughs> uh, but it was one of those it's one of those great finals where you're like yeah it just it, it's broke Scotstown stranglehold over Monaghan football over the last few years Scotstown now have the, the Hughes brothers Conor McCarthy Shane Carey Rory Began quality level of intercounty talent where does Rory Began play? Began is in goals for right. Scotstown okay. yeah, yeah so it's not an Al Morgan situation but uh, he does come out with the ball he won, did score from play for Scotstown 
a couple of times from goals where he was kind of the fly goalie job and found himself within the 45 took a pop and went over the bar um, but yeah it, it got me thinking uh, I was in the pub then after the match on, on Sunday and uh, Conor Hanlon a former Modern Harps teammate of mine he just sent me on this link the TG Carr had a screenshot of club numbers it was obviously after, you know based off the, the Kilmacud Croaks Nafina final on Sunday afternoon uh, and some of the numbers compared to the likes of uh, James Stevens and Ballyhill Shamrocks really struck my eye this might be surprising to some people but 215 teams in the fee and a half 215 teams well like are they including uh, well, you know I, I, they don't have 215 adult teams but. no no but even if you look at playing members like that's 215 teams whereas Ballyhill Shamrocks have 177 playing members uh, like it, it, it highlighted for me the um, are they including all the underage teams where like the under 11s have three the B's and C's and D's yeah do you know potentially uh, or it's true the big clubs have more members yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I accept this but like <clears throat> the argument I suppose is that how much they're "Quote unquote," punching above their weight, the likes of Ballyhale Bally and Ballygunner, and all these clubs who don't have the resources, and who only have one team to worry about, one yeah. team to resource, well, one that. team to fundraise for, one team to find mentors and managers for, one team to organise games and pitches for. It's pretty easy. They've got it easy. Those clubs, yeah. Where, well, where the only thing to do in that town is to play for that hurling team. There is that argument. Um, there is that argument, and they have the, the focus mm. completely and wholly on it. But I, I, and, I, and I think there's an argument as well. Community teams, I, I don't know what, what it's like in Kildare, but uh, well, it was Nace and Clane, of course, in the, in the county final. But in Monaghan, I, I found it interesting to note that relegated, the two teams relegated from the senior championship in Monaghan this year were Carrick Macross and Casablaney, two of the biggest towns. My own club, Monaghan Harps, which is the Monaghan town team, saved themselves from getting relegated from intermediate to junior. Too, too many distractions in the town. Is that well, I don't know what it is. And I, I, maybe people can let us know in the comments what it's like in, in, in other counties. But it worried me in Monaghan that the big towns were the teams certainly struggling. Uh, like that's, three, that's the three biggest towns in Monaghan. Um, you know, Monaghan Harps, Carrick Macross, Castle Blaney. And, and they are the teams that are struggling because all the, all the, the small clubs have... Uh, as you say, all the resources pumped in, no distractions potentially. Uh, was, more of a community I was, feel. I was being mildly facetious about that, but I do think that like this, um, the the numbers of uh, members in these clubs, like it's not just an automatic. Everything is going to be great. Yeah, club needs incredible levels of administration. True. To manage to make. To, so that you can have a pitch for each of those teams, if there are that many teams. Um, someone has to organise that and someone has to make sure that there are lights on and that every team gets access yeah. and like <clears throat> is that is that including I mean, it probably is a, it probably is a male and female club at this stage to be honest um, I think almost all the clubs are really so uh, that is men and women as well yeah. do you know like it's not it's not a one way street no. I think the conversation we were having yesterday <clears throat> was about the the bigger club being able to track the best players from outside Dublin and like that's never going to stop. No. So what do you do? You know. Yeah, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't know how these these rural clubs compete and start to to push on like Kilmacud Croaks, but but I think within counties they are doing more than just competing. Uh, and the size of some of the parishes, like Scotstown's parish, is huge. Uh, so like sometimes you look at the parish sizes and counties, you're like, is that fair? Uh, but look, this is the way lines were drawn up over the years. But um, yeah, it's it, it just something that's, that's that I. Really took note of it, man. A lot of people are talking about it, man, in there as well. It's like, why are the big? Why can't the big teams hold? And I actually genuinely believe it's down to a community feel. Like you, like if you're say you don't show up for training for one of the smaller clubs in Monaghan, 
everyone's talking about it. They're knocking on your door. Where were you last night? In the town, it's, it's almost like miserable. it's grim. Yeah, not Gaelic football, but uh, but uh, is there? Are we are we sure it's not just cyclical that? <clears throat> there's a good selection of young players that have come through at the same time in some of those clubs yeah yeah potentially um, uh, but then you, you, yeah and you see other clubs like Cardiff was one of the clubs promoted from intermediate to senior man in this year that's Banty McInerney's club he's over it right. and the, the money that's been pumped into that team is uh, remarkable do you know for a, for a club team understandably Banty's in charge um, he has a few quid lying around but that's that's what you're competing with, you know. That rural clubs that maybe get a cash injection that all of a sudden are punching above their weight. Uh, JP Wright says, if you're going to sack a manager, do it now. Perfect timing with the World Cup break and time for a new gaffer to select January signings. Um, yeah, and certainly if the new manager is going to have the opportunity to select signings, that would be important. Um, ah, the famous Monaghan cuisine says Dennis Ryan. He's not having any of that, Shane. Ah, oh, that's the, the the restaurant scene in Monaghan Town. There's a taste of Monaghan Festival every year. So it should have mentioned the country festival, the country music festival that happens every Hi. July, uh, and there is a blues festival, Harvest Time Blues, every September. Okay, yeah. So there's a yeah. few there's a few distractions there for you in Monaghan. Sounds great. We're all going next year, apparently. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it. Yeah, we should do a roadshow for the country fest. Uh, or the Blues Fest, whichever floats your boat. I think you're a Garth Brooks fan, Jerry, so you'd be more more in line with the, the Country Festival, no doubt, uh, with the Budweiser belt buckle and the, the brown shoes and the boot cut jeans and the checkered shirt, I'm sure oh, you have. Cowboy boots. Cowboy boots, sorry. You may as well go full hog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Um, definitely right. By the top two in League of Ireland, it's definitely non-league stuff, says Mossy Lines. I don't think... Um Maybe it is, and you know what? Maybe the league needs to accept some some brickbats coming its way and say, "Well, what are we doing collectively to raise the standards?" Yeah. And let's talk about the facilities issue, and let's talk about that. Uh, like you would say that the underage structure seems to be working very slowly, and there was a lot of reticence about that. But um, certainly, the results of the underage teams and the amount of players coming through at the moment versus the amount of players coming through over the last decades, uh, things are trending in the right direction. Uh, Dara Riley says when did Rovers do well in Europe 2011 maybe but they didn't get a point in the group <clears throat> uh, Danny Max says the League of Ireland has been improving since the 80s 90s noughties will it ever be improved all bull <laughs> yeah I think it will improve and, and is going to improve as, as more people become interested and, and more money comes into the league and there's bigger names involved in managerial battles as well I, 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 don't, I don't agree entirely with that statement uh, and I certainly don't agree that, that League of Ireland is at non-league level I, I, I think those comments were a little bit uh, not immature but uneducated maybe from the other manager because he's not watching League of Ireland it's not his fault that, he's, that he said that he's probably thinking uh, there was somebody who was obviously watching to scout well fair yeah yeah, yeah. But uh, and, and maybe Georgie Kelly was standing out the same way Ogbenya stood out um, yeah it's, it's a strange one the only other story I saw Jerry that, that really took my eye was um, Jurgen Klopp getting a lot of hate for his, for his behaviour uh, on Sunday and, and kind of some grassroots groups coming out in England saying they notice a massive correlation between touchline behaviour in the Premier League and touchline behaviour at grassroots level. So Jurgen Klopp running after the linesman, getting set off, deservedly, I guess, for it. Um, but the impact that that could, could have at you know, grassroots level where you're, you're seeing young, young players even kind of reacting to the referee in ways that they perhaps shouldn't. Um, so that's something as well that, that we can... No doubt, chat to Jonathan Wilson about, but it's an it's a worrying one. All right, uh, reminder: Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Every uh, week, we're giving a lucky viewer a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off the Ball on Twitter, like and retweet our Braeburn competition post, and you'll be in the draw. Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on the go coffee experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. The Creasler Community Support Fund has been established by the Irish Red Cross in collaboration. 
with Ompost and Apple Green to provide rapid and long-term assistance to the Creaseloe community. All donations to this fund will be dedicated to the support of those who've been bereaved, injured, made homeless or left without an income as a result of the tragedy. In the days and weeks ahead, <coughs> pardon me, the Irish Red Cross will work with the community of Creaseloe to encourage and ensure sorry, that all contributions will be used effectively and as needed to assist those affected by the incident. Please donate to the Creaseloe Community Support Fund. Up next, we're live with Jonathan Wilson reflecting on Pep Guardiola's tactics in the bigger games that Manchester City has struggled with. First, here's Pat Nevin on last night's show talking about Mo Salah's performance against City. We're back after the break. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro. It's clear that these are massive games and so therefore um, you are entitled to try and think your way out of whatever problems are coming your, your way if you're the manager, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Guardiola's behaviour differences in the big games compared to the smaller games is noticeable. Like I, I thought that you know when it reacted and turned around to the Liverpool fans after the Foden um, goal, like that was that was Pep. Is you kind of want to see that, um, but it, it's also Pep potentially panicking a little bit and like just even the the kind of frosty pre-match handshake as well and there was a few things during that game even when when Salah got through straight away he drops to his knees and it's all dramatics and and classic Guardiola but does he overthink does he is he too nervous for the big games I'm sorry nervous is not the right word there's no way Guardiola is nervous for big games but he's certainly tactically overthinking some of the things Um, why change a winning formula Uh, if it ain't broke don't fix it I think Danny Murphy said on the TV after the game as well he said you know, maybe Guardiola is overthinking the tactics in, in some of the big games. Um, and it, it's the Anfield factor as well. Like, he has such a bad record at Anfield with City where, where it, maybe it has to be an issue. I know they won when it was a COVID fixture where the crowd was either limited or, or, or non-existent. So uh, when they've had that full Anfield atmosphere, um, City just haven't been at, at full full power and uh, Jimmy Carragher called it before the game and said I think Liverpool you know won't lose this game so that that's that's the Anfield that's the Anfield factor look it can certainly crap to some people to say oh, the atmosphere what, what impact does the atmosphere have but I think at Anfield in a big game like that it does have an impact uh, look I think um I, I can't actually remember who on the show, whether or not it was um, Nathan or somebody else, was making the point uh, yesterday that their record at Anfield, when there are fans in the stadium, is mm. amazing. But they lost six in a row at Anfield without fans. Yeah. So, like, you know, it, there's something going Science on there. there. Now, obviously, there are centre back injuries and um, all the rest happened coincidentally at the same time. Not so coincidentally, obviously, their performance level dropped massively. So, uh, taking all that into account, right? It's not just at Anfield that Guardiola has this propensity to second-guess his own team. The point about Leon is excellent. Like, um, getting obsessed about one detail and trying to uh, conquer that one detail. In so doing, you rearrange all the pieces and the jigsaw doesn't look like the picture anymore. And because of that, you're out of the Champions League and the Champions League was right there for you to win. Yeah, yeah. So, wouldn't it be really interesting to see... His best uh, at the weekend, his best team in their best positions, the team that just whumped Man United. Yeah, and go for it. Like, uh, what's the worst that could happen? You might lose 1 0. Yeah. Yeah, and then look, there was a, there was a couple of, op- of uh, times during the game on Sunday where like Phil Foden's dropping deep on the left, and uh, because of that, Milner wasn't really targeted. Cancelo was pushing for, further forward on the right than maybe he was comfortable with. Um, 
and there was one point during the game where he went over to Guardiola and you could kind of sense that Cancelo was saying to Guardiola will I just drop a bit deeper here but like, will I defend a bit more and Guardiola essentially was like gesticulating as in no keep pushing keep pushing forward but like proudly uh, to the hilt holding on to the tactics that he had, that he had gone with pre-game uh, maybe, to a, maybe to a fault um, because look they didn't win the match but look and then football is reactionary as well so like last week we were all talking about how oh, City are going to storm the league and Arsenal's uh, challenge will falter at some point we probably haven't changed that massively because of one game at the weekend but all of a sudden we're thinking alright like you can actually challenge City there, there are ways to get at them do you think that there are ways to get at them or do you think that sometimes they get in their own way <laughs> like that's my that's my do you know but, but Klopp has to get some of the credit for that and Liverpool have to get some of the credit for that because they got in their way okay and then they did and they did um, have a very strong defensive block and sure yeah. absolutely but at the same time like uh, when they did that there was no there wasn't enough of the counter philosophy from Manchester City and that's I think the point here is that um Oh, Pep is clearly a genius. Clearly knows more about football than any of us are ever going to uh, forget. Yeah, remember whatever that whatever that stupid saying is. Has <laughs> forgotten more about football than we. Oh, wow, you know. Yeah. So, but have some confidence in your own team. Like think that remind them that they're the best. Yeah, and and even like even City set up did not uh, allow them to utilise Haaland in the way in which they probably wanted. Like, he, he just wasn't getting a touch of the ball in the first half. You're thinking, they get, this man needs to touch the football. Um, and the way in which City set up. And Guardiola probably had time during the game to actually do, do something about it, change things. This isn't working. Is he too proud in the big games to, to kind of move things around and, and, and go back to uh, de facto position, uh, potentially? Um, like, they couldn't deal with the counter-attack. Um... And, and that's something that City usually can can kind of deal with. But and look, they still dominated possession for large swathes of the game as well. But uh, yeah, sometimes I just feel like Pep Guardiola with these big games, one hundred percent overthinks everything. Like what? Like, that's what made him great in the first place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Christopher Henry, Jer, are you okay? Coughing a lot the last few weeks. It's just in the mornings. It, it disappears. It's almost as if I'm um, you know not a morning person. Yeah. Uh, I keep. I kept thinking my right ear was blocked. No, it's not. We're just, you know, we're just having a little bit of issue with the the mono stereo thing, which we're working on. Now, Niall Barrington says the look of dread on the lads' faces. They realise the problem is the connection on their end. How to fill the rest of the show? Uh, thank God Shane could talk the back legs off a donkey. Says Il Postino eighty eight. Now we're in for some crack. Says Spectre Corp. So it's up to you. If you guys, yeah. if you think you're so bloody creative, you feel our comments here, and we'll work the rest of the show with you. Come but on, Il Postino has also. Let's be having you in the immortal words of. What's her name? Doreen Allen. What? <laughs> yeah, that was her. Delia yeah. Smith. Uh, going to read you through the newspaper headlines. City hit back over Anfield flashpoints. Uh, Hillsborough bereaved offers to meet Guardiola. The hostility between Manchester City and Liverpool deepened yesterday after the Premier League champions said their team coach had been damaged by a missile and claimed Jurgen Klopp's pre-match comments about City's wealth had added to ill feeling between the opposing fans at Anfield on Sunday. Um, missile like a bottle of water? Just the, the, the pre-match comments had added to ill feeling. Jurgen Klopp told the truth. He's, he said Manchester City have yeah, limitless, I don't, I, I, limitless money. There is no ceiling for this club. There are three clubs that have no ceiling. Fair. And it's um, 100% correct. Uh, and what, what City are doing by saying that is they're giving it a moral equivalence to the Hillsborough chance. 
And that's what Manchester City are saying is like, oh, you said this nasty thing about us and our fans said this thing. We condemn our fans, obviously. They shouldn't have said that. Yeah. But that's not really what you mean when you say that there's an issue here, that it's, it's Liverpool's fault for causing this thing. It's it like, um, it, it's stereotypical PR uh, war where you go out and you smear everything and you kind of say, these are all part of the same thing. This is all exactly, it's all, uh, it's all just the fans. And then you hashtag it bants and you, you try and move on. Yeah. And it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim behavior, I would say. Uh, Liverpool condemned the chance on Sunday. Uh, Liverpool's 1-0 win was overshadowed by offensive chance from some visiting City fans over the Hillsborough tragedy while coins were aimed at Pep Guardiola by home supporters during one flashpoint in the second half. That is, like, really shitty, despicable behaviour, throwing coins and anybody... Like, the footage... You know, you can zoom in on your own face and, and at any match in the world now and you can see from your seat. So, like, the technology is there to find out who is, is uh, throwing the coins. And these games are very heavily stewarded and very, very heavily policed. So they should be able to find out who did that. Um, and they should certainly be making a big case for it. Um, City were upset by Klopp's observation that there are three clubs in football who can do what they want financially. City, Paris Saint-Germain and Newcastle, who have backing from the Gulf States. City believe, this is Paul Hurst's story in the London Times, that Klopp's comments contributed to the toxic atmosphere and questioned why three clubs with Gulf backing were identified as being so different from other elite sides. <laughs> What's, what are we doing that's so different? as we uh, float on our bed of oil money. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool are understood to be furious at any suggestion that Klopp's comments could be seen as inciting a group of City fans at Anfield to respond with offensive chants about Hillsborough or indeed were anything other than a statement of fact about the resources of three clubs. So um, don't point out that City have all the money because City don't like that is what City are saying. And if you do, we're going we're gonna to give our fans essentially a free pass. We're going to say, well, you know, you, you brought this upon yourself um, to sing the most vile stuff. That's uh, that's where that's going. So that stinks. That sort of comment, you know, to, to kind of almost draw in that uh, those pre-match comments had anything to do with a, a small cohort, albeit of, of City fans, chatting with Hillsborough. There's no link between the two whatsoever. Uh, that cohort of fans were going to sing about Hillsborough uh, on Sunday, regardless. And look, I was at the United Liverpool game in, in Old Trafford last year, the five nil, when Salah scored the hat trick, and heard the same chance myself. And you could see the Liverpool fans doing the whole airplane symbols back to, to signify the Munich disaster. Uh, and that sort of thing was is just toxic. And, and that's going to happen from that small cohort of fans regardless. And it doesn't need a little bit of a comment from one of the managers in advance of the game to, to stoke it. That is just despicable people being despicable during a football match. Michael Carrick is on the brink of becoming the new head coach at Middlesbrough. He's only 41. If you had asked me what age Michael Carrick was, I you know, would not have said 41. Yeah. He's been around a very long time. And fair play to him. He's still... Therefore, a young coach. Yeah, yeah. And, and when he gets um, this job, he's going to be a young coach. I saw last week he had uh, the, the reports linking him to Middlesbrough had cooled. I think he had he had gone off the idea, but then he, in the last day or two, apparently he's had discussions with uh, potential members of his backroom team that uh, he wants to, to get involved and feels a little bit more open about it. He was in the he was in the stands uh, for one of United's away games recently. I can't remember which game it was, but. Um, you know, supporting him with his hood up, and, and and he's done that before. Last season, he did it a couple of times as well. Uh, and you can't forget as well. I know it's only a few games, but when he was caretaker manager of United after Oli, he was. How did he do? He was pretty good. It was amazing. He was pretty good. United fans love it. You all love Michael Carrick, and yeah. uh, you know, so you should as a Man United fan. That's uh, so. When he's the Man United manager in eighteen months' time, will you be happy? No, no, but I, but I think I think uh, from a Middlesbrough, if you're a Middlesbrough fan this morning, you should be very happy because Carrick is. Carrick's a wonderful appointment. Chris Wilder beforehand was was a on paper a great appointment. How as well. is he different from Stephen Gerrard? Um, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think some of these managers have to get a, 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 a job that 
Temper's expectations, getting the Middlesbrough job is a good one for Carrick because there's a certain level that he's expected to get to. Also, I genuinely think failing in um, a situation like he's coming from is very good early in your career because it humbles you and it makes you think, right, this is not going to be straightforward. This is not going to be easy. I need to work really hard and I need to learn from my mistakes. Whereas Stevie Carr yeah. was like, oh, I made Rangers great. That's the problem. At the a time when Celtic were, were pretty weak. The expectation and, was too big on Gerrard, perhaps. Uh, and, you know, will he be the future Liverpool manager? Not anytime soon, Stephen Gerrard, because of what's happened. But, um, yeah, you need to temper expectations by taking a job like the Middlesbrough job. Yeah, so the Telegraph is saying, we did this a, bit, a little bit earlier, but if you just joined us, Aston Villa target Pochettino. The, uh, the line in the middle of it, uh, which is most important here, Villa would almost certainly be prepared to wait for Pochettino if he unexpectedly showed any interest in the job, but did not want to make an immediate commitment. Uh, so, uh, we love you so much, you don't, you don't even have to tell us now. You can tell us at any point in the future and we'll still be here waiting. Poch, we love you. It's so You're good. so amazing. Oh, I like, I like the cut of your jib. Oh, you let the beard grow, did you? Oh, Poch. That's kind of what Villa are doing at the moment. Uh, it's, not, it's not demeaning at all. No. It's not. Like, it's like, so that's what the personification of Aston Villa that's, sounds like. I mean, that's how the modern dating game seems to be. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, they're, they're swiping right. And like, Villa have Tinder gold. They have, they have Tinder premium. And they're, they're like... Is there a Tinder premium? Apparently so. Yeah. I don't have it myself. I'm only on the basic le- basic level of Tinder, but um, and what what's the extra bits that you get? Ah, uh, you get to you get to see who's liked you in advance. You can also <laughs> the probably the weirdest part of it is you press boost. So like say between nine and ten p.m. in the evening, you press boost and when everybody's uh, randy, everybody's <laughs> your words not mine. Your profile gets pushed to the top of everyone's. I'm told, so I'm told. And how much, how much do you have to pay for that chain? Ah, uh, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, Jer. But uh, yeah. I'm only moving back up to Dublin, so the Tinder scene in Monaghan wouldn't be as uh, as uh, busy. Oh, how are you again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you again? Yeah. How are you getting on? That's your look. Sure, we go for another drink, will we? Any port in a storm? Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, Tinder pre- we've got on to the Tinder premium portion of the show which that is was, good it only took six minutes yeah. uh, rugby and dock is 167 jobs are lost at Wasps uh, we're going to talk about this with Keith Woods um, the general situation of uh, the game <laughs> uh, shut your gobs this is um, the referees association telling the uh, Premier League bosses uh, told to be role models there is definitely a point in this right where Touchline behaviour is modelled, as you've said. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like even from, uh, regardless of the of the negative behaviour, like I, I remember seeing on Twitter, different people, coaches at underage level, talking about the impact that footballers have on young players. Like there was one kid, I think, at a, at a match who was taking a corner at an under eights game and put his two hands up before taking the corner. And like the kid didn't know why he was putting his hands up, but I mean, for, for all he knew, that it was he, look, he's every game he watches at the weekend, he sees professional footballers putting their hands up, and it looks great. Yeah, and there was another there was another kid at under sevens level, I think, who who blessed himself walking out under the pitch and the parent was like he's not religious he's just he's watching too many Brazilian footballers uh, walking on to the Premier League pitches blessing themselves so uh, I remember one time when I was a kid the um, uh, well David Beckham first of all when he shaved his head bald around 01 I I, I shaved my head full on bald and uh, came into school the next day regretted it I was only a kid and uh, wore a hat I made it worse I made the, the reveal worse because inevitably 10 past 9 the teacher said Shane take off your hat there 
And slowly I took off the hat to, to laughs from everyone in the class because I had I had the David Beckham. They were jealous head. though. They wanted. They were definitely jealous because I had the Mohican at a different point. When Beckham had the Mohican, I had okay, Mohican. Yeah. So, so I, I full on. Um, I remember even a, a player in. So you're basically a David Beckham fanboy for the last twenty years, and that's finally been given yeah, uh, airtime ventilation. Yeah, I remember some player in some match in the Premier League or, or at international level wore a, a bandana. A US flag bandana. I bought a US flag bandana and wore it at a mini leagues game when I was nine. So clearly I was one of those influenced players. But to get back to the serious point, yes, it influences the bad behaviour on the touchlines influences Sunday League. And do you think you'd you do be influenced easily these days too? Uh, Jesus. See you know, I think you let go of it sometimes. Sometime in your in your teen years, you, you kind of you hope so. You start to decide your own things and make up your own mind on, on topics. Um, but yeah, clearly, uh, clearly, a very uh, a child that, that listened and watched and, and took it all in. Uh, so that's the back of the star. The Irish Times today is uh, well. There's a couple of different stories here. You know, John Daly's. Um, you saw this story. Uh, they're making a movie, a movie with mm. Jonah Hill going to star as John Daly. Yeah. Hard to know which part of John Daly's life they're going to do. The bit where like he was the ninth alternate to get into the PGA, a crooked stick, and then won it. Yeah. So basically eight other people had to pull out of the tournament for him to get in, and he wins it as a, as a rookie. The bit where he wins an open afterwards, like when everyone's like, oh, you're, this was a, it wasn't a fluke. Yeah. Or the bit where like he travels around in, um, in a Winnebago from, uh, and has like, yeah. Song, all my exes wear Rolexes. <laughs> I think um, putting Jonah Hill into the role, and Jonah Hill is probably one of those actors who can gain weight and lose weight relatively easily. So they're probably going to go through a different couple of portions of his life. Um, the whole thirty cans of uh, Coke per day phase, I'm sure they'll they'll cover as well. The the phase where everyone kind of wants to see the hard drinking, hard living. Probably. Uh, I hate to say it, but that's that's the phase that, are, that that's, I guess, juiciest. Well, it's a great story in that it ends in the victory. Yeah, 100%. Um, his son seems to be pretty good at golf too, or else that's just, uh, he's just a, a um, social media. Uh, Guardiola cannot blame Anfield for his tactical errors. Jonathan Wilson, writing in the uh, in the Guardian today, also carried in the Irish Times, a piece that we were going to get into um, in great detail with him, but unfortunately, uh, our lines are playing a bit of havoc with us this morning. Uh, Lancaster cautiously optimistic on Leinster Trio uh, Keenan Lowe and Gibson Park are close to a return but not available just yet there are a few others whose injury profile is up for discussion in it as well uh, thank you for the Des mm-hmm. that's uh, the headline in the sun on Des Cal stepping down a semi-pro Matty's keen like performance um, that's Matty Smith that's the FAI Cup sorry that wasn't uh, semi-professional league but that's what they were getting at there that was the Rotherham Georgie Kelly stuff but it isn't mm. um, back page here is uh, Big Clash fallout under fire City accused Klopp of fanning the flames Pep and players bus in Anfield attack call for probe into bosses abuse of refs um, Sunderland have reiterated their zero tolerance policy it says clean it up for James this is James McLean story after um, Sunderland have reiterated their zero tolerance policy on discrimination after former Black Cats winger James McLean was targeted by a section of the Stadium of Light crowd and Villa on Poch Watch is the story that I don't believe that um, Pochettino is going um, until, until he walks in yeah. and even when he's holding the, the flag you won't believe it until you see it I'll believe then great comment uh, Ger as well from Michael John Harris on YouTube at the weekend I saw kids on the under 8 team covering their mouths to speak to one another before they took a free kick you know in case the cameras picked it up the influence is mad. Like they just they just look at those TV shots and I go, we need to do this. 
I mean, it's 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 brilliant. It's not so the cameras; it's so that the the other players and like who are like this far away. I'm going to kick it to you. You run over there. I've, no, but at the end I'm of the game, when they you run over there. when they're doing that, at the end of the game, I assume it's because they're arranging plans to meet up later on and have a couple yeah. of beverages. But uh, yeah, during the game, the mic. But the kids, the kids in your man's thing. That's uh, because they don't want the opposition or the referee to know. But under eight level, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another story there that I was going to do, which I obviously I'm not going to now. The male Liverpool and City at war, hostility between clubs reaches new levels as accusations fly following toxic clash at Anfield. We do want rivalries, we do want intensity, we do want teams to hate each other and not be able to stand the side of each other. That drives greatness. We remember yep. uh, Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane because they hated each other, but ultimately it did not lead to the. Um, Maybe maybe it was toxic then. Maybe it's always been toxic, actually. So maybe I'm wrong about that. But certainly it's unacceptable. And City are uh, whining about Jurgen Klopp telling the truth about City. And so they need to shut up. Yeah, I, I don't even think that the rivalry is that toxic. I think we'll forget about this time the next, the next time they play each other. Um, but yeah, it certainly added a little bit of heat to the whole thing. Especially the bus getting attacked. Like, although that seems like tradition now that the, you know the, the fans attack the bus, add a little bit of tension. It's not quite at Boca Juniors River, River Plate levels. I mean, it's there's a few red flares and a couple of water bottles maybe hit the bus. As long as it goes, doesn't go into dangerous territory or the bus is damaged or whatever, then uh, you can see how the rivalry is going to simmer like that anyway. But um, yeah. yeah. It's a rivalry that's only come about in the last few years. I still think the United-Liverpool rivalry uh, is unquestionably the bigger one um, in the Premier League. Liverpool-Everton is even a bigger one. Um, this one has kind of been, been created because they've both been so, been so successful. And because there's two characters as well in Guardiola and Klopp in charge, you need that. You need the characters in order to fester the rivalry. Yeah, same headline in the mirror there. Shut your gubs. Refs charity warn Pep and Klopp. Your histrionics set bad example to grassroots and it seems to be uh, true. Villa will turn to pots if Stevie slips. I mean, they will turn. Will he like be like... If he slips, is it if or when he slips? Um, yeah, I, again, I thought his performance wasn't that bad. Nope, played okay against Chelsea. To be uh, Klopp brought shame on boot room. That's... Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna dig him out, how are you gonna make him feel embarrassed? Ooh, yeah, that will that will that he will read that. <laughs> uh, he'll see that. Um, the Liverpool manager acknowledged the red card was my fault, but also claimed he was not disrespectful, and again questioned how Bezic had not flagged for a foul when Salah clashed with Bernardo Silva. I lost it in that moment, and that's not okay. But a little bit as an excuse, I would like to mention how can you not whistle that foul? <sighs> again, there's like a, oh yeah, I'm gonna make an excuse here. I I did lose it, but I deserve to lose it because. It's um, but even you had Bernardo Silva coming out in the post-match interview as well, and he was like, "The referee feels pressure here too in Anfield," and uh, he was just saying, "We just want consistency with referees." Uh, but City, obviously, in the post-match interview, had um, had an agenda. They wanted to get out there. The oh, by the way, the referee. Can we just talk with the referee? The referee wasn't great. Uh, referee gets influenced by the Anfield atmosphere, uh, so they felt uh, completely done over. Uh, and it, was, it must have been brought up in the dressing room afterwards because all those post-match interviews were, were along similar themes. Um, City, bitter City, I think, after the, after the win because it was a well-deserved win for Liverpool. You can't take it away from them. Um, Martin Cassidy is the chief executive of Ref Support UK and a lifelong Liverpool fan, it says here in this piece. It hurts me to see someone I admire so much behaving like this and, in my opinion, damaging the heritage of Liverpool Football Club. Can't remember seeing Doug Leash, Paisley or Shankly behaving like this. He's bringing shame on the boot room of Anfield with his pantomime antics. It's a, it's a great quote. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of the aforementioned legendary managers had moments where it got a bit heated. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. I, 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 no, I never saw any um, Shankly or uh, any Paisley. Saw plenty Doug Leash. Like Doug Leash would maybe mutter under his breath. He would yeah. be certainly less less showy, less histrionic. There's a, a different strain in him than like. Um, Klopp plays the pantomime and it works really well for him like going over to the crowd and like that maybe that's one of the reasons why the Anfield atmosphere is so bloody great because I absolutely adore him and uh, he's a special talent so uh, the other thing here this is um, important Kelleher left frustrated after being ruled out of November International so Ronan Kelleher is out of the November Internationals Will Connors and Harry Byrne are also out of the November Internationals it's been a while since Will Connors was in consideration for the Ireland squad but you wouldn't be terribly surprised if he got fit and got a run of games to see him back in the mix because he's, he's at that level but he is uh, Lancaster is saying that he's not concerned um, in it's not really an issue it's more that they're frustrated because they're professional rugby players and they want to play rugby and there's nothing more frustrating as a player than to be training or be uh, than to be training or be rehabbing and then not playing the game so yeah that's more the thing it's less about the World Cup I think um, Lancaster saying the reality is the World Cup is next season not this season but it's not really like this season finishes in May that's true there's three or four weeks off but then the World Cup is straight away so mm. um, anyway so he's you know those three um, Kelleher and Byrne are both set to miss up to eight weeks Connors is looking at 12 following surgery Connors has had bicep surgery which you know in American football is season ending but that's obviously a much shorter season uh, Byrne and Kelleher are hamstring injuries and they're bad hamstring injuries if they're out for uh, eight weeks with that so you know fingers crossed they can all get a bit of a run we haven't really seen Harry Byrne play any significant um, period at 10 for any of the teams so um, that is the story with that that's your independent Liverpool and City at war um, and then the last one I have for you here is Klopp antics bring shame shame on Anfield um, so I'm just going to call up the computer here if you have any comments for us yeah a few comments someone has uh, asked us to someone says fill the rest of the show with Shane's childhood and Tinder history uh, that's not going to happen Chris Cal how about a Mount Rushmore of Shane's favourite moon landings someone else has asked for his, my favourite rocket booster systems um, if you want to get into rocket science we can Okay. But, um, later in the show, maybe if you want to touch on the moon landings, we absolutely can because I will I will talk about the moon landings anytime till the cows come home. Yeah. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Up next, John Duggan is bringing us his Tuesday takeaways for the spice bag. I'm a snack box man. I won't lie. The best burger in town. Tuesday takeaway with John Duggan. Oh, get on it. Oh yeah, it is the Tuesday takeaway with John Duggan. John, good morning to you. Jared Shane, how's the form? Yeah, pretty good. Morning, How are you? You enjoying your new environment? Well, getting used to it. <laughs> it's going great so far. I think we're doing all right, you know. Yeah, considering the circumstances, we've we've talked about Tinder moon landings briefly. Uh, we've got onto a few different things that we probably didn't expect John this morning to get into. But well, I'm the king of tangents, so you can yeah. take me anywhere you want to go. <laughs> I wasn't sure what the last word you were going to say there. I thought you were going to say the king of something else. Well, yeah, king t- the king of tipping and golf. Um, <laughs> And Tottenham Hotspur fandom. So yeah, uh, three takeaways for the weekend. I would feel that Pep Guardiola needs to get out of his own way because uh, I still think it's an issue at Manchester City. And I don't know why he was changing the shape of his defence. And I do feel that there's an issue of leadership in that team when it isn't on cruise control, when it's not on autopilot, when they have to go on to actually using the controls of the plane. Yeah. There's an issue. And actually, since company left, company wasn't, say, the best footballer at Manchester you ever had, but he had something about him. He had something to... And you could feel that Liverpool bullied City in terms of the atmosphere and the, the day and... Um, that would worry me if I'm a City fan expecting to win the Champions League this season. 
Yeah. Because they're going to face those atmospheres. Well, uh, and also teams playing on the break at the latter stages. I don't, mm. I, I don't like. I don't think their problem at Anfield is the atmosphere. I think that it's it's they have to think about stuff and they have to use the controls. When the whole point about so I, I, there's famous footage of Pep when he just got the Barcelona job. They're like I, they're in um, one of the the Middle Eastern uh, countries on a preseason and he's screaming at the players because somebody has mispassed it and it's like. It's all of the best players in the world in that one group, and the rondo has gone wrong, or something like that. And he's absolutely screaming at them because he wants them to have trained to such an intense level that it becomes automatic, right? Yes. But then, when you make them think about, oh, I'm not in this position; I'm in a different position because we've we haven't done this, we haven't played this system, yeah, week in week out. We played a different system week in week out. It got automatic, and now it's like not automatic anymore. You're actually going against your own principles. You're going against the bit where, like, everybody understands their role so well that it's second nature to them and they don't need to think. And there were even bits of the game where, like, they're still able to do it in bits of the game. They were still sensational. Like, under pressure, they would the press would come and it would just be off by a tiny bit. And all of a sudden, somebody's in the middle of midfield with space. And it just didn't work out for them. But there's just that little extra bit where they're like... I have to go and have a conversation with Pep now, which you know, I don't really want yeah, to have to you, do in the middle can, of the game. You can't, you can't become a truly great team in the legacy of the game by being automatons, mm. which is what they they have become. And beautifully at times, but when, as I said, they need to find a bit of individualism or leadership or somebody to just on the pitch go, no, we're just going to slow this down mm. a bit. Uh, and that'll be a worry in the latter stage. And, and, it's, and you can see it in the statistics that in recent years in the Champions League, when they've conceded, they've tended to concede it again and again in quick space of time so there's definitely an issue there I think the dominant pl- person at the whole club is not any player it's Pep uh, so I think he needs to get out of his own way the second thing is I think and I was really felt upset for him uh, as much as he might divide opinion Richarlison looked like he was absolutely devastated after the Spurs game because he picked up a calf injury but he's going to be okay for the World Cup I think Richarlison's going to have a bigger World Cup than people think because okay he's not Ronaldo he's not Romario but he's going to lead that line for Brazil if he's fit I think he's scored seven goals in his last six games for his country and I do actually think that Richarlison is going to lead that line over Jesus for Brazil and I think even though he's not the main man at Tottenham I think Richarlison's going to have a bigger World Cup than people think he's 30 to 1 to win the Golden Boot Is there a possibility that uh, Neymar is somewhat distracted by the court case, case. <laughs> and yeah. you know, and yeah. actually might not deserve his place in the team anymore. Uh, well, there's so many players, like someone like Martinetti, might not even get in a look in in this Brazil situation. Mm. You know, Jesus at the moment, even though Chichi has had a long uh, relationship with Jesus and Jesus flopped at the 2018 World Cup, there's so many players, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, all these players that could that could feature for Brazil. But I do think Richarlison is going to have a bigger World Cup than people think um, one month out. You look at like even Anthony as well, playing Anthony, well for the United. There you go. Like, uh, Bruno Guimaraes. Every, all the Brazilians are playing well at the moment. Firmino's playing really, really yeah. well. Brazil are going to win that World Cup, lads. I think it's an absolute banker. Even Casemiro and Fred are getting game time beside each other at club level you know not necessarily going to be the the uh, the box midfielders for the world cup but i mean the depth in that brazil squad is and you called it out at the start of the year you said brazil were your shouts to win the world cup that probably hasn't changed there's something original about it because of the favorites but yeah but i mean 33 days out i, I kind of thought maybe some other some of the european teams would have put forward a, a surge if spain had a proper striker uh yeah you, you know you think that spain like germany will be back because they've got a better manager um i don't think england uh, with the manager they have can do it 
Um, I was actually asking on Twitter the other day, who are the outsiders? Who are the dark horse? Because there's always mm. a Turkey or there's always a South Korea. There's, al- there's always a team that can come out of, maybe it might be an African team. It could be Senegal this year. And Akal was saying Canada, uh, mm. which is interesting. I think the Netherlands have got one of the easiest groups. And I do think they have a good manager. I actually think having a good manager is important at the world stage. And I think Louis van Gaal, okay, maybe in the forward positions, they're not that great. Yeah. But they do have good defenders and they do have you know, a good access in midfield. And I think the Dutch might, might do, do okay in the tournament. And they've had a good Nations League. I like them. Uh, I was about to say Dundalk. Denmark. Uh, Denmark, like, yeah. I know Denmark are dark horses for every tournament, it seems. Yeah. But I think legitimately for this one, they could, they could cause a few eruptions. The third takeaway is that Ricky Fowler, guys, is on the way back. And don't be surprised if he if he if he wins tournaments again and and could contend in the majors again. He worked with Butch Harmon for years. They split up. He started working with Butch again in the last few months. And Butch says he's seventy five percent there. We've got a new golf podcast. Mark your card. I headlined Ricky uh, two weeks ago, and he missed the cut. But last week he was second in Japan, and I do think he's coming back. And I think he'll be the player who will be the kind of the comeback story. Interesting guys. That there's a movie being maybe touted for John Daly mm. uh, with Jonah Hill. That would be pretty amazing. Um, when my sister was at the Masters at Augusta she got me a John Daly uh, oh, stuff so uh, she met him and got a few things signed So, would Jonah Hill have been your number one pick ah, John yeah. Daly? Jonah Hill's awesome awesome yeah. um, it's one of those picks when you hear it you're like oh yeah obviously he's going to play John Daly yeah. that's, that's like it, would, it would be a great story and John hasn't been that well so hopefully he's gotten better and uh, yeah just the story of the PGA driving all night and uh, <laughs> winning the Open and I remember Bill Clinton rang him and he didn't pick up the call. <laughs> ah, that's daily to a T. Yeah, excuse yeah. the pun. All, all the, uh, was it the, the picture that they showed him after the Masters uh, or around the Masters when he was in the Hooters uh, just playing slot machines and stuff of that kind of thing, you know? So um, I, don't, I don't know if anybody here has interviewed him. You guys interviewed him? Uh, yeah, we had him on. He was quiet. Right. We had him on the phone because he was involved with some golf club in Ireland. I want to say somewhere down in Cork. Right. And uh, we had him on. Um, I, I, I watched him play around inside the ropes. I was stewarding at the Irish Open when I was like 15 or 16 down in Mount Juliet and got to follow him around for the whole day. It was pretty amazing to watch, like, just the, the raw power. Yeah. yeah. At that stage, like, people were He was the, the biggest driver of the game. People were not driving the ball that yeah, far. Yeah, and yeah. People didn't have a club that had a head that size. Like, Ronan Rafferty at the time was still playing with wooden-headed club. Right. Um, and it was just like, whoa. Um, but like a very relaxed fella, you know. Yeah, yeah. Off yeah. the booze at that point. Right. Okay. And and talking about being off the booze a lot. Yeah. Over okay. the um, over the eighteen holes. So is he one of those people who had a, you know when you meet certain celebrities or or sports people they're like they have an aura um, where you're like okay that they are not just larger than life but almost when you meet them you're like okay this is I, I get it now I get it. I, I, actually, he was quite quiet. Right. But then would come alive when he was absolutely killing the ball. <laughs> you know. Um, not smoking any cigars? Don't think so. Not not cigarettes. Smoking cigarettes. When's the last time you smoked a cigar? Uh, I would say 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Uh, maybe 10 years. Okay. I smoked one at the Imrose a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, a couple were of you, them. Were you the man who brought the cigars? No. Someone gave them to Nathan. and uh, don't Nathan, know who. Nathan pulled them out and myself and Nathan had a, had a bit, uh, bit of a... Colin Boone says it was you. Yeah, it, was, it certainly wasn't me that brought them. Well, Colin was Colin was also smoking them. Sorry, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Not to not to finger pointing. Uh, I was in, I was in town the other night and uh, having a drink and uh, got an Instagram from Colin. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm around. Just pop in. So I did pop in and uh, had a drink with Colin. So it's um, 
this is the thing when you're on the circuit, you know. You know, well, we had the Royal Oak a couple of weeks ago, John. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm on my holidays and I'm almost trying to, I am working hard, but I also on my holidays from the Saturday and almost feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in the departure lounge in my mind. Yeah. D-Mob happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to the Kentucky Derby, are you? No, the Breeders' Cup. Breeders' Cup, sorry, but in Kentucky though, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I've been looking forward to it all year. Keeneland. It's almost like it's, it's, it's the horse capital of the States in terms of it's the Coolmore almost of the States, like the breeding operation. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Alley House is in Louisville as well. Is that yeah, right? so I arrive on the Wednesday evening. I've got three flights in the one day, which would be fun. Um, and uh, I go from Dublin to New York, Newark to Chicago, Chicago to Lexington, and uh, there until the Sunday. The, the races themselves, Friday and Saturday, 10 races each day. Um, it looks unbelievable on Instagram and hopefully there'll be a good Irish contingent there Aidan O'Brien generally and it's, it's been something I've been planning for about a year so bit of bourbon bit of bourbon they've, they've got the bourbon trail there's about 20 distilleries so you can go teach one and uh, and obviously go get in your bourbon tour and stuff like the that. 12 pubs of Christmas pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> um, obviously you can't uh, be drinking pints uh, liters of bourbon but the, the Muhammad Ali the Muhammad Ali Centre is in Louisville it's an hour and a half from Lexington so I'm try and get down there on the first day uh, yeah because um that's actually, I didn't even know that Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby is, is in Louisville. Right. Uh, Lexington's about an hour and a half down the road, so. Yeah, once, well, when you're in the vicinity, it'd be rude not to. It would be rude not to, and it'd be a missed opportunity yeah, not to go. You know, so, bit of Colonel Sanders action as well. But well, maybe, you know, I mean, I've got to do all the cliche things, uh, all the all the breakfast and everything, you know. I look forward yeah. to the Instagram post. Yes, thank you. That was uh, John Duggan's final Tuesday takeaway for a few weeks. John, enjoy yourself. Thank Thanks you. A million. Thank you very much. Bit of a spice bag. I'm a snack box man, I won't lie. The best burger in town. Tuesday takeaway with John Duggan. Oh, get on it. TBAM is brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Up next, Kathy McNamee in studio for WSL Update. First on the news round last night, Joe, Mick and Richie discussed the issue of Cristiano Ronaldo's professionalism. Back after this. You know when Ronaldo mix so is shake of the head, hanging the manager out to dry, yeah. causing division among supporters. These are not the behaviours of a great professional. He's talked about all the time as a great professional. Yeah. In certain respects, he is. In many respects, he's not a good professional. And that is but just... But he's been doing this all his life. life. All his life. Like, standing there, you know, that, that Real Madrid, you know, uh, anger as somebody else scores a goal from... A rebound from his penalties, one of the... You know, that's etched into my brain. Yeah. You know, uh, he's always been doing this. But I, I feel that... He obviously offered something behind the scenes, and he was never able to hide that side of him yeah. in public. He was never able to do that. But players and managers always forgave it. And I don't know whether that was because he was the best player on the pitch or whether because actually his true personality, when the cameras weren't there, uh, showed that that was just something that was uncontrollable in him and actually he wasn't a bad influence. I tend to think it's the former. Mm. You know, you're very, very forgiving of Cristiano Ronaldo doing whatever he wants because he was going to win you the game and the league and the Champions League and everything else uh, basically on his own. But like that kind of pouting. And we've seen it all year. And there's also that, like, there's the performative nonsense when he was on the bench as well, you know, that we saw a couple of examples of. He knows when the camera's on him. He knows when it's uh, just it's always the Cristiano show, 
isn't it? Like, totally. Just constantly. And like, it's it's such a terrible example. I mean, it's, he's been talked about. Well, one of the reasons to bring him back into the fold is that he's just an amazing example for those around the club, and they won't have dessert because he doesn't have dessert. <laughs> but he's such but a I, good example that he demanded the captaincy and, yeah. and to, demanded the guy who was struggling as the captain be stripped of it. I'm not agreeing with That's it. The That's man for you, yeah, of course you're not. But I'm saying is like what an example of unity that is. I know. And this is a dressing room prone to toxicity, <laughs> and he's yeah. giving it the oh, oh manager's a disgrace. Who's with me? Who's uh-huh. against him? And the worst part is there are apologists for him in the media who will never criticise him no matter what. And on this instance, they'll say, you love to see it in a great but Never likes to be taken off. <laughs> That's the worst part. There is that sort of being disappointed to be sh- to be taken off sure. and, and tapping the manager and saying, fair, fair enough, but being angry. And there's being angry at the manager. There are two different things. And, and it's, pulling it's the neck obvious muscle. which one it is. It's pulling the neck muscle to let everyone know that you're disgusted <laughs> at being taken off. Uh, more of that good stuff coming your way this evening from 7 o'clock uh, Kathleen McNamee is with us Kathleen good morning to you how are you? Morning guys doing well uh, The Ballon d'Or minor controversy in England in particular because uh, they thought that uh, they were going to win it Yeah they thought Beth Mead was a bit of a certainty to win it which I don't know would I go that far I was actually just looking at it there someone tweeted the voting and uh, Patel's won it by 164 votes Mead got 163 oh, right. so it was very tight and actually tighter than I expected it to be um, I was talking to some people about it last night, and I reckon if Patelis had played the Euros, she probably would have run away with it. Like, so just for people who are unfamiliar, who is she? So she is a Spanish and Barcelona midfielder. Uh, she won it last year as well. She's the first woman to ever retain it twice. She was the first Spanish player since Luis Suarez in 1960 to win it last year when she won it first. Um, last year, she captained Barcelona to domestic treble. They retained the league title for the third time in a row. They also won all 30 of their games. I mean, they're incredibly dominant in Spain. Uh, they lost the Champions League final to uh, Leon, which was quite a surprise at the time. Maybe it shouldn't have been. I think it was because Barcelona were so dominant. We just expected that Leon, or that because Barcelona was so dominant, we expected them to put up a bit more of a fight. But she was the only one that scored for them. Um, and then she was expected to lead Spain to glory this summer in the Euros. And the day before the tournament started, she tore her ACL and hasn't played since. Um, she scored 18 goals last season from midfield. And she also scored 11 in the Champions League, which made her the top scorer in the Champions League. Um, so, I mean, she is an incredibly good player. She has been in the eye line for these sort of awards for a while now. She also won Best European Player of the Year twice in a row. Whereas Beth Mee, this is the first time she's been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. She did have an incredibly good season. And she scored 14 goals for Arsenal in the league last year. Uh, created eight assists. She was top scorer at the Euros. She won player of the tournament at the Euros. So I can understand why English fans might be a little bit aggrieved. Definitely. And if, if Beth Mead was player of the tournament and, and Alexia missed it because of injury, you're like, uh, that was the big tournament of the year. Well, it depends on what you're judging, judging off on. as yeah. well. Because like Arsenal didn't go that far in the Champions League. Arsenal didn't win the league title. You know, it, it depends. And I know people will say, well, like Barcelona are so dominant in Spain. So what is the competition for them there? But they did have some matches where they were quite competitive. And even in the Champions League, they kind of proved that they were that good. They beat Arsenal 4-1 I think in the group stages in the Emirates and then the second leg as well was equally kind of a big scoreline. So I I can see it from both sides but I do also see why English fans are a little bit like, but we won the Euros why can't we win this too? Uh-huh. <laughs> do we know about the voting? I'm, I'm just reading about it here because it, it used to just be like the 
a long time ago maybe this was the FIFA award which they merged for a while and they separated it used to be the uh, national team captain and the manager and uh, France football was always a journalist's award so maybe I'm, I'm confusing there was that period of time where the two merged and then they uh, divorced again but they announced significant changes this year so it was it's the it's that season so it's July to July um, yeah it's the season rather than the year before which is what it always had been previously um and what, as well, what's interesting to see someone like Sam Kerr, who probably would have been as big a name in the WSL last year, kind of in third place. She's always been up there in that like top two or three, but just can't seem to break into that number one. Um, and again, I wonder how many of the people voting were paying as much attention to like because she obviously wasn't playing the Euros she's an Australian player how much were they paying attention to their World Cup qualifiers and their international games Um, because it just seems that she's always on the outside of those also interestingly Vivian Miedema slipped down to 11th which was very low for her Mm. Um, and this is actually something that we talked about on Koi Gig last night new episode dropping today for anyone who is interested but the fact that she She's been playing in a deeper role since um, Blackstenius joined. Blackstenius has kind of been the the point person for Arsenal. And Vivian Mitova has said this several times. She prefers playing there, but she's just not as good mm-hmm. <laughs> and she doesn't score as much. Um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily even the players around her, but it's just interesting that she doesn't want to be that point person scoring goals. You know, she's playing more kind of more of a 10 role um, and doing a lot more work in midfield than she would have before. So it's interesting to see that that's kind of been a bit reflected in how she's turning up in these sort of major awards. Is, is like just reading some of Lexi's comments after winning it and like she was talking about the injury says I did not think it would be possible to win this award because of the injury so she's probably as surprised as anyone uh, you know when you've spent a bit of time out that you're like oh, I'm not going to win any individual awards but fair play to her she's done it yeah and then it comes at an interesting time for the Spanish team you know we talked about this before but obviously there's 15 of their players who aren't playing with the squad at the moment because of um, issues with the manager and the National Federation and she was asked about it last night and she's like it's something I want to talk about at some stage but tonight's not the night tonight is a night for celebrating which you can understand as well Um, but it will be interesting to see if she does have thoughts at some stage I mean she's the most well-known player in the world probably at the moment and she's up there anyways Uh, Manchester United at women's level I was listening to Andy Mitten on on MUTV he was talking last night about being at this game at the weekend the Brighton match Um, Serious start of the season from United. Was this expected? Not at all. Uh, it's their best ever start in the WSL. So far, they are completely unbeaten. They haven't conceded yet. They're at the top of the table. They're on level points with Arsenal, but they're ahead on goal difference by one, I think it is at the moment. Um, what's really interesting about this United team is they obviously are only in the WSL a couple of seasons. They didn't really have a squad for such a long time. Casey Stoney was the manager at the start and she seemed to be really good at building those foundations, bringing in those young players, pulling together a squad that outperformed itself a lot of the time. And now Mark Skinner has come in and he said quite a lot last season that, you know, United were up there, they were competing, but you weren't really sure they were going to get into the Champions League spots. They kind of tailed off by the end of the season, which is what they had done a lot. But this season, they seem to have signed really smartly their players are really clicking I mean you even look at the England players who played in the Euros they have Ella Toon, Alessia Russo and Mary Earps. Mary Earps is a completely different player 
mm-hmm. this season to what she was last season. Some of the saves she's pulling off are phenomenal. Uh, Alessia Russo hasn't actually even been playing the last couple of games because she's injured and she's out for another couple of weeks. Ella Toon is on fire. They brought in like Adriana Leon, who's a Canada international, who's really, really good. And it, it just seems to be a team that has stepped up to a different level this year. Now, it will be interesting to see. They haven't really faced a massive test and particularly their midfield is a little bit maybe one of the more problematic areas that they have at the moment. Um, but they're playing Arsenal and Chelsea. I think it's like November 6th and November 11th or 12th. It's a, kind of around those like middle weeks in November. They're playing Arsenal and Chelsea one after the other. So that will be a good test for them. Um, and especially maybe coming at a good time for them because Arsenal and Chelsea are both playing in the Champions League this week. Obviously, a lot of their players are just coming out of internationals. There's a very tight fixture schedule for those sort of teams at the moment, so might be catching them when they're a little bit tired and a little bit not as great as you would expect them to be. Um, even you look at Arsenal at the weekend, they'd be Reading 1-0, Reading are bottom of the table. Really the sort of game that Arsenal should be pushing at least three or four goals by and they didn't um, so yeah it might be good timing for United to, to get themselves up the table Ella Toon was yeah I saw the highlights and, and like the two goals and an assist she was brilliant against Brighton but uh, the thing that one of the things that Andy Mitten mentioned that really struck me was that you know the home fans at these games in Lee are now more of the element of United fans that go to the, the men's games. There's more of a chanting element. There's more of a, a culture of, you know, we'll head to the pub and go to the match. Whereas before it was a lot of, I guess, young girls and, and you know, people interested in the team. But now it's it seems to be a lot more of, you know, regular Manchester United fans going to these games. And I'm sure it probably transfers to other clubs in the WSL as well. Yeah, and Lee is an interesting one. I was there a couple of times during the Euros and it's quite difficult to get to from mm. Manchester. Even just like if I was going to an evening kickoff the only way to get back into Manchester was to get a taxi or an Uber or something, unless you were on like a specific van bus. Um, And it, like there's a pub right beside the pitch and you go in there and like they're lovely they're really good crack and they're so invested in the women's team and you could sit there for hours and like the kind of the outlaws sitting at the bar that you wouldn't expect to be all that interested will turn around and they'll give you like a breakdown of every single player on the team so you seem to have created a really really nice atmosphere um, I remember even following the Orange fans you know the way they have their big bus and they go along and they do all their dances and their chants uh, they went down this time tiny little estate and it was just like people coming out and standing in their doorways being like what is going on Uh but like loving every second of it and talking to a few of the locals and they were like we love the fact that the team play here because it brings so many people into this kind of relatively small kind of I suppose it's probably a suburb maybe technically of Manchester um and the sort of people that just would never come here usually there is an argument to be said if it was a little bit more central it it might be good for the team just in terms of attracting more of those fans who go to Old Trafford every week but no I think especially for English fans I think the Euros did a massive job Mm. to bringing those people in you know when I was covering it over the summer, I could go into a pub and it would be on the TV and everyone would actually be talking about it. And that was the first time I'd ever watched women's football in a pub surrounded by people. Like it was, I actually remember getting slightly emotional at one stage and turning to my boyfriend and being like, this is, this is why I do the work I do. This is what I want to be able to. I want to be able to sit and have a pint and enjoy a match and actually feel that atmosphere. So I really do think it did go a long way. And I've, I had so many of my male 
female friends as well say that they're now going to WSL matches just because of the crack they had over the summer in London or wherever it was watching those games. So it is great to see and I hope it continues and I hope the World Cup next year for us will bring some of that to like the Women's National League and we can keep doing that because I mean I was talking to Karen Duggan about she played with P-Mount against Cork down in Cork at the weekend and she was like we won a World Cup qualifying place during the week there was barely anyone at our game mm. you know we, we need that bounce to come here too so. yeah, it, 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 and it won't be straight away and it, it, the difficulty with the kickoff times is that no one's probably going to be going to the pub for the Ireland-Australia games and yeah. if we get New Zealand um, that's even worse in terms of the kickoff times but we're on this journey now where if there is a legacy from um, those matches being in England then hopefully the time the next Euros happens will qualify and people will go and, and that fan culture begins to build. Yeah. I'm planning full on, you know, like whenever there's rugby tours and all the matches are on at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm planning to be one of those people that's finding an early house around the place. But no, you are right. And it is going to be difficult. But I also think there's a lot of potential there as well in terms of people are going to be waking up wanting to hear these stories. They're going to be waking up wondering what's happening. And it it's a great opportunity for us to be like, okay, well, here, here's what happened overnight. Oh, look, there's a Women's National League game going on or you can go to your local park today and see this happening. Um, so there are definitely ways to like feed it into the system and feed it into the culture a little bit more. I think that's the next conversation to be had. Is like, are the FAI ready to capitalize on the potential and the opportunity that they have at the moment? And, um, you know, it's been clear that a lot of the great work that's been done around advertising the women's team has actually been done by third parties by Sky, by Cadbury's who have taken the team and shown how to market them and told their stories and amplified them and got them involved in that process and so you'd hope that um, that continues but it'd be great if the FAI were actually able to then say well at the same time we're trebling or quadrupling the number of women coaches that there are to go into schools to make sure that every school team has access to good quality coaching. And, you know, um, we haven't, we didn't capitalize on, on the men's team qualifying for their first World Cup in 1990 in a way that they could have done. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can carry that off. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's kind of like what you're saying as well. Like, say, say if there is a match, it starts really early in the morning and kids are just going into school as it's finishing. Say that day, if the FAI are sending coaches into the school and being like, okay, well, Ireland just did this this morning. Here's like, let's talk about what Katie McCabe did or what Denise Sullivan or let's have like study this goal and like practice it on whatever it is. There are so many great ways that you can get kids engaged at that stage. And I think what we, like what we keep talking about what we want to do with this grassroots thing is we want to make sure there are more of those female coaches coming through we want to make sure that this generation's legacy doesn't go to waste and that we're not sitting here say like with the women's rugby team what happened exactly they great, were great winning. template there how to blow it yeah exactly um like whenever i think about it, it just makes me so angry but we have such an opportunity now to rewrite that part of Irish women, Irish sports history. I'm not even going to put the women tag on it. Irish sports history and really capitalize on this, really use it as a moment to push the country forward. Because the other side of this is as well, there's not a whole lot of joy in the world at times, especially after the last few years. And this is an opportunity to give people some joy. I know like tournaments like the World Cup, even if you're not a sports person, 
if Ireland are playing in it, you you get excited and it's fun and you enjoy it and you you can jump on the bandwagon as much as you want. You know, no one's going to tell you to get off. So I just think it's a great time for the FAI to really dig in and the thing is at the end of the day it's only going to benefit them in the long term you know if they have more of those world-class players coming through and going to the WSL or if they have more people attending games then that's only more revenue coming in it's more fans it's more customers it's more people buying your shirts it's more people going to games it's more people administrators and coaches it's like a it is that rolling ball of momentum so um yeah fingers crossed so when is the new episode dropping today should be up and it could already be up actually but should be up in the next few hours if not all right Kathleen good stuff uh, more from Kathleen, of course, on Koi Gig. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Barry Ryan's book, The Ascent, at 1 o'clock, at Dadcast at 3. Barry Garrity's career expected at 4. And The Life and Times of Johnny Kilban, the most famous Kilban from Ackle, at, uh, who left. Uh, um, that's coming your way at 6. And then Joe back in studio from 7 o'clock tonight with Off the Ball. Uh, make sure you follow us across all our social channels after the break. Phil Egan's live in studio for his take on why Liverpool were able to overcome Man City at Anfield. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro. Right, Phil Egan is with us. Phil, good morning to you. How are you? How are you doing, lads? Uh, we were supposed to talk to Jonathan Wilson this morning, but unfortunately the gremlins in the system have prevented us from doing so about uh, Pep getting in his own way. Shane makes the rightful point. Liverpool, they get some credit for this, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think both sides of the argument. Liverpool, something Jurgen Klopp has talked about in the last few weeks about the lack of being compact Mm. and space in midfield. So they were very compact on Sunday. And obviously, I'm surprised to see Phil Foden so far back in basically playing as a wing back. When you consider that when you saw James Milner starting at right back, and you think of what Phil Foden did to him last season and James Milner was very lucky not to get sent off in this fixture last season and just felt that City didn't get at him enough now what I would say is because Liverpool were a bit more compact well a lot more compact Milner was protected this is what if Trent Alexander-Arnold had been playing on Sunday he would have got that protection so he wouldn't have been as exposed now that's not to say that Trent Alexander-Arnold hasn't been struggling this season mm. has but Liverpool were far more compact it is easier to be like that against Manchester City it's more acceptable the next step is going to be how do they approach the West Ham game on Wednesday night where West Ham are quite happy to sit back against can you Liverpool. not do a bit of both like, absolutely I think you, know. you can yeah because Liverpool have players that can play in the break I mean that's where Mo Salah's goal comes from you look at the chances that Nunes created when he came on Jot had chances as well these were chances created on the break Liverpool that's why I've I get like Jurgen Klopp obviously has a way of playing and it has served him so well but it surprised me that it's taken up until now to kind of just readjust and maybe it was Manchester City was what he needed to to reset things a little bit and maybe we're going to find out tomorrow night if it is a turning point in the season for them well Joe Gomez looked like prime Paolo Maldini yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden like he's getting so much slack and yet he was brilliant yeah well he struggled against Napoli now what's transpired since everyone that's gone to Naples has struggled this season yeah fair yeah. and they absolutely ripped Ajax apart their top of Serie A and when they play at home they are lethal at the moment mm. but 
yeah, he, you know, he had a really tough night. I, I was encouraged by his performance at Ibrox. I even thought when he came on against Arsenal that one thing that happened was there was a one-two played around him, but he got back in position and got a block in, whereas we had seen earlier in the game or earlier in the season, Trent Alexander-Arnold sometimes gets played around and doesn't track. As soon as the ball's gone by him, he's kind of thinking, that's that, it's done. Whereas, you know, you still have to track back, even if you're taken out of it you can still get in and make a block somewhere. But yeah, it, 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 we talked about this last Friday, Ger, on the kickoff where I, I kind of liken this to United playing Liverpool where United were already felt like at rock bottom under mm. Ken Hag. And certain games can actually be good. Now, if you come out on the right side of it. Yeah. And I, I always felt that City were favourites going to Anfield on Sunday, but if Liverpool scored first which they don't do very often these days. But if they did, then there's every chance that they could win the game. How did they protect Milner? How did they um, form that block? Was it, was it personnel? Was it instruction? Was it that Jada and Harvey Elliott have the energy to get back and to be defensive when they're not in possession? Was it that Fabinho played well for 70 minutes? Yeah, yeah. well, if you look at it as well, it was 4-4-2. We didn't know if they'd go four three three or four two three one, what four four two they'd play. But if you look at it, and I know I had this conversation with Stephen Doyle, who was on commentary for us on Sunday, and said it was quite clear from early on that that Liverpool played it a diamond formation where Fabinho dropped, and obviously Thiago and Elliot were on either side of him, and then Firmino played at the. the, the top of the diamond, mm. and then that allowed Jota and Salah to be more central. Obviously. We had talked about Salah being isolated at times out wide and earlier in the season and sometimes Harvey Elliott was drifting into his space in certain games. And one criticism of Harvey Elliott has been maybe the defensive side of things, but he was on it. And I think it's hard to know where his Liverpool career will end, like, you know, what what level he'll get to, um, you know, because... When you're a young player, we know how much talent. And if, if Jurgen Klopp is starting as a teenager, you've got something about you. But one thing he has shown is he has an unbelievable appetite to learn and to work hard. And I mean, the talk is that him and Pep Linders have been working on that defensive side of things of what his role is when he doesn't have the ball. So I thought he was very good on that. And yeah, I think it helped Fabinho did have a very good game. Whereas Fabinho, unfortunately, has suffered in that when there is so much space in midfield, he is not the kind of player that has all the energy to cover every end. He's just meant to pick up and he senses danger. And that's what he did the other day. Uh, and I, I think Liverpool just got their, their tactics spot on. And again, I think Pep overthought it. So it was a diamond and Jada and Salah were essentially free to go wherever they want with yeah. Salah, uh, the number nine, really. Yeah, and obviously Ish. Jota, because Jota, yeah, Jota, like, you know, a few things didn't stick with him up front, but defensively he was excellent. And that probably contributed to him getting the injury at the end where he had run himself into the ground. So you would imagine if he wants to stick with that system, Nunes is a, an able replacement. And look, Nunes, when he came on, lacked composure. But I mean, the most obvious pass in world football history to play Salah in and he just decides to shoot but yeah. like he played he was lively yeah and that's the the encouraging thing is he doesn't shy away from it if he makes a mistake a few minutes later he put the ball in for Trent Alexander-Arnold yeah. Um, yeah, maybe there was another option with that one as well but is there a chance that James Miller gets picked ahead of Alexander-Arnold for these games for a while 
Well, I don't think so. I think if if Alexander Arnold is fit for tomorrow night, he'll play. And if he gets that same kind of protection and Liverpool are as compact as they were on Sunday, then it won't be as big an issue for him. He won't be as exposed. Miller's less likely to run past the right-footed players' right foot yeah. and like take everybody out. Mm. Yeah, I know. You're referring to the the Saka goal against Arsenal. Yeah. It, was, it was dreadful. I mean, you can't... And it, the thing defend. is, it wasn't a one-off, or it doesn't feel like it's a one-off. It's no. that, that, that defensive instinct is, is something that needs to be worked on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose with, with Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is he doesn't no, see himself as a defender. He never has, but I he know, was but basically like, said, you, you're going to play in this role, but you're going to be a creator in this role, and I, which, I, is, which you know, works when you have the ball and on, you're on top of your game. And on balance, the gazillion assists is better than the yeah, goal that you can see. Exactly. But then in those very, very big games where actually you know it's it's going to be 50 50 yeah is there any case to be made for not having them start the games even and have them come off and have them bring some dynamism to the second half well some people say why not just put him into midfield i don't know if he's good enough for a midfield role but he could actually play in he could play in a midfield if it was a diamond Mm. the problem is when you play in midfield and it's so crowded you have to be sharp and technically excellent. Technically, he's a good footballer, but it's, there's a difference where I'm talking about his technical excellence is the Delivery. way he strikes a ball yeah. and delivers a ball. Yeah. But I'm talking with your back to goal. You've got two players coming in behind you. Can you pick the pass in between the two of them? As, yeah. As Can you take pass? a touch and get another one away? Like players like Thiago, you know, they, they could control a ball in a phone box and they've they no problem with that. Klopp using, Klopp or um, Guardiola using Anfield as a, not an excuse, but like he pointed out his record and it had been pointed out at Anfield, that's two draws and five defeats when fans have been there at Anfield. Yeah. Like it does have an impact, the Anfield atmosphere. But um, that's what Klopp has created. Yeah. Where, one thing you can count on even when Liverpool are struggling is the crowd are going to be yeah. there for them and this is why I felt with Manchester City this will definitely get the crowd up for it if you can't get up for the champions arriving in your backyard on a Sunday afternoon in front of the TV cameras then you may forget about it So, and the longer the game went on if City had scored early who knows then it deflates the atmosphere but the longer the game went on and tackles were flying it was a little bit similar to last season where it was nil all at half time mm. and then it just sparked into life in the second half but the difference I felt with Sunday is Liverpool were very good I'm not saying they weren't good in the games last season but I felt last season at Anfield Liverpool needed the half time whistle and when they got it, then they obviously, Salah scored that amazing goal. Last season at the Etihad, I thought Liverpool did very well to get a two-all draw. They showed their character, but City were the better team. Whereas I thought on Sunday, Liverpool were excellent. Mm. Um, and certainly... So you do think they're back? I don't know. Well, Or at least they're going to be capable of these big performances over the course of the season. And so therefore, that should be probably enough to get them back into the top four yeah, and but they're, they're live contenders in the Champions League. Yeah, well, the thing is that, that performance, though, was based on intensity. So yeah. can they get back to that level tomorrow night? Then they've an early game on Saturday against Nottingham Forest, which Liverpool have played a few early games this season and they've been dreadful. It's like they just haven't woken up. But Forest will concede chances. 
that's the thing of a forest. Well, absolutely. I mean, and they've, they've a game in hand as well, and all of a sudden the table looks great when you start beating Man City. You know, win, yeah. Look, if, two games, if Liverpool beat West Ham and Nottingham Forest, then you know what a six days that'll have been. Yeah. And what's the target now? For, what's the, what's the league? What's the realistic league target for, for Liverpool? I think they have to just make sure they finish top four, and like Jerry said, have a good run in the Champions League. Mm. And this is look, they need a point away to Ajax in their next game to to qualify for the the last sixteen. If they don't get the result there, then they've Napoli in their final game. Napoli are already through, but you wouldn't want to have to get something. But a draw would. Would probably be, yeah, so you'd fancy them to get a draw away to Ajax, but then, yeah, like the World Cup obviously is going to make things very interesting and what mm-hmm. happens in the second half of the season. What kind of condition do your players come back Mo in? Mo Salah comes back in great condition. Mo Salah comes back in great condition. Looks like Jota ain't going to the World Cup. Like the, the players that are going to be there, Van Dijk is going to be there, but he's a centre half. Yeah. So it's not as if he's going to be you know, having to cover serious ground. So long as he doesn't get injured. Yeah. So long as he doesn't get injured. What what England players are going? Is Trent Alexander-Arnold going to go? He might because of the injuries. Trains. Has Joe Gomez all of a sudden entered the conversation? Well, I see he's a shoe-in now, according <laughs> to one of the papers. I'm like, yeah. You know, Football, that, you that might not be the worst thing for Joe Gomez to like go to a World Cup and come back with a bit of confidence and, you know, an established England starter. Just don't take a penalty, mm. whatever you do. Well, Martin Keown was in the papers today, one of his columns, and he was kind of talking about how a, couple, a few years ago he actually said Gomez and Van Dijk is going to be the next great Premier League partnership. Mm. Now, it hasn't materialised for, for a number of reasons, but... Well, I thought Gomez was horrific against Napoli. Like, I thought that yeah. was a kind of career-defining shit show. Like, yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. And there, there was a few games where he's just a, a lapse in concentration, but that comes with confidence. Like, you would imagine... The performance on Sunday will give him confidence, yeah. and then he's back in. But you know what team do West Ham go? It's Scamacca started on Sunday, but you know an, an old physical battle with Mikhail Antonio it, it could be the kind of game that Gomez doesn't need. Mm. Yeah, I look, I I just think that it's far too early. I, I felt it was far too early to say Liverpool were a busted flush. I f- also feel it's far too early to say they're back. Yeah, well. I think that's fair enough. But it does mean because their results have been so bad in the early part of the season that every game is going to be a bit of a knife edge. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. Yeah. Mm. Like yeah. Every yeah, game is meaningful from, from this point forward. There's a lot of clubs in that situation now. I mean, you look at some of the fixtures uh, over the next few days that some managers are looking over their shoulders and like a bad result and you could see a few P45s handed out uh, even if he isn't interested well I can't even remember that Pochettino <laughs> uh, Pochettino yeah. if he shows any even if he unexpectedly shows any interest they will, or will wait for him uh, <clears> is this <throat> like you know they're swiping right on all the wrong people Pochettino is available and if he wants it he'd be a great appointment for Villa you would imagine but instead, it goes back to the fixtures so you're looking at Villa are playing Fulham on Thursday then they've Brentford at the weekend mm. yeah so, so they are two winnable games but they're also that's the problem the kind of games that if Jared was to lose both then screwed I don't think he survives yeah I think the fact that a very well sourced story by three journalists from the Telegraph has details about the 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 owner's investments in Las Vegas is in the papers yeah. and they're talking about successors like that 
they, you know, this, they, they, somebody somewhere is talking. There are very, it's a very well sourced story. Yeah. And all of the most important people at Aston Villa are mentioned in the story. And they all have doubts about Stephen Gerrard. Yeah. And they're pointing out that Stephen Gerrard's situation is exactly the same, pretty much, as the situation when the previous manager got sacked. And he had a track record of bringing the club up yeah. and keeping them in the Premier League. Stephen Gerrard has no track record. No. They owe him nothing. They gave him an opportunity and he hasn't been good enough. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think he has been good enough. And he'll be gone if he doesn't get. I mean, four points from those two seven games. goals yeah. this season and the, the performance was was a lot better on, it on, was. on Sunday and yeah. if, if Kepa doesn't pull off a few saves we could be having a different conversation but that's just not the way football works and, and no so it's, it's not a knife edge for him as well is Pochettino being linked to Villa and not Jim McGuinness being linked with the Waterford football job like this is like, well, it's so far beyond the realms of possibility Villa that it's pay like, him the same as any other club in world football can pay him they have, yeah, financially, they, I guess. Yeah. So it's just whether or not they can say, we have 150 million this season, we have 100 million the following season, you're going to have full control over that, and we're going to give you the 10 to 12 million that you'll get if you're going to manage a super club. But here's your chance to bring us to European football, and we'll give you a release clause when a team in the Champions League from these leagues come, you can take that job. Do you know, like. No, I, I get, and I get what Shane is saying that. This is a guy that's them. always been linked to mm, big jobs. Some big jobs. He's obviously been the manager of, of PSG, but you got to make a comeback somewhere. You know? Yeah, look, it would be a similar. It would kind of fall between Southampton and Spurs, where it's better than Southampton, but it's not as good as Spurs. Now, I'm not saying like uh, Villa are a huge club, but they want to get to where he brought Spurs yeah, or, exactly. or close to it anyway but and he feels he's already done that work and so he should be getting a Champions League job but they don't come around the good ones where you're not going to get sacked in 10 months yeah. don't come around all the time so you just have to not Matthew McConaughey remember how that rom-com phase and then he stopped answering the phone for like 5 or 6 years before he got the, the Dallas Buyers Club jobs Potts just needs to not answer the phone to Villa and these teams and eventually he's going to get the big calls from just who, leave though? it for a while from who Man United that well, happen yeah, well, from Arsenal, I can't do that job. No, the Spurs job maybe maybe might come around again. But uh, yeah, like, well, I mean, look, we know Conte is in long term. The yeah, Chelsea job he's not going to get. No, so not none of those England jobs. Could he take the Atletico England job? Job? Yeah, the England job. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> right, you never know. No, uh, I know. I, I England are going to get an England manager next time. An English manager, but they, I don't think they're going to go for another outsider. No, and if you're looking at it now, like Eddie Howe hasn't done himself any harm with how he's dealing with Newcastle, but you'd imagine he probably is happy enough to stay at Newcastle. Well, he may as well, you know. And the money's probably better there than it is at England. I'd yeah, say it's decent enough, yeah. And uh, Potter the same. Like, Potter's starting out and it's yeah. going well, so he may as well ride that as long as he can. I wonder, with the England job, will a certain Brendan Rodgers be available after the World Cup? Because he's in that conversation of managers that just look like they're one bad result away. Yeah, and he needs a fresh start somewhere. Yeah, because he's done. And like, he would. Uh, like people they don't would, like Brendan Rodgers, but he's done a great job. You know. Yeah. He yeah. he won a trophy. He got them to within a hair's breadth of qualifying for the Champions League twice. Yeah. That's a remarkable job. Yeah, but he's not doing a good job now. He's not. And I know people say he's you know he's not getting the players and he's having to sell his best players, but there is no way with the quality he has in that squad that they should be anywhere near where they are. Yeah, maybe yeah. some of that England squad need a bit of character as well. He couldn't manage that personality. And personality he'd certainly bring both. I know up. he's he's from Northern Ireland and I get what you were saying about outside managers. But like he He's come through their system. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all fair. All right, feel good stuff. Thanks a million.
Nice ads. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. What are your Movember plans? I was gonna yeah, I was thinking of doing it. Um it's always brave. I haven't shaved properly in years. Uh, you kind of have to. I kind of yeah, you do have to for that purpose of that. I I take ten years off myself, which could be a good or a bad thing. I'm not getting into them at twenty one nightclubs anymore. We'll see what your uh, what your anyway. I was going to bring it right back to one of the earlier conversations, but I won't. You won't. You're not going to do it for for decorum. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro.